Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz did it again. This time they blot the Los Angeles Lakers. They got that lead up over 20. They took a commanding lead in the second quarter, blew the game wide open in the third quarter. The fourth quarter was all garbage time. It was a really solid performance from the Jazz. You know, for the Lakers, for their part, they're clearly shorthanded. They're missing Anthony Davis, their second-best player. They're missing another key player, a starter, and Dennis Schroeder. So they're clearly shorthanded, and they're clearly struggling. They'd lost four out of five. Now they lost five out of six. Uh, but the Jazz, for their part, didn't let up. They played well right from the get-go. They barely trailed in the game. It was a close game at the end of one quarter, but the Jazz blew it wide open in that second quarter and had the double-digit lead at halftime and pushed the lead over 20 in the third quarter. It was a really good performance by them. Had the had the floor spread. They were passing the ball, making the extra pass, getting open shots, and they were making them. Six for 12 from the three-point line in the first quarter. And uh, there was a lot of garbage time at the end of this game. The fourth quarter just didn't matter. So the Jazz are now 22-2 and in their last 24 games. And they pick up a game on the Lakers in the standings. They also picked up a game on fourth place Phoenix. The Suns got beat by Charlotte, and uh, they did not get a call at the end of the game. Booker uh, had a big shot at the end of the game, and man, the replays, I thought, hey, I thought Gordon Hayward clearly fouled him. Now, you know, slow-mo replay got the advantage of that, but boo. He's an all-star now. He didn't get that call. Conley did not get the AD slot in the all-star game. We'll have to see if somebody gets hurt here in the next week. Another slot opens up. It happens sometimes. Other years, everybody stays healthy. We'll just have to see if it plays out. But AD slot goes to Booker. And uh, Booker had a big game. Made a bunch of great plays. Scored a bunch of points. Made a bunch of great passes. But uh, I thought he got fouled at the end of the game and no call. So... Uh, and then the other big news for the Jazz, and we'll have to see how this plays out, but Elijah Millsap, former Jazz player, uh, tweeted out that in 2015, in the season-ending exit interviews they do, that Dennis Lindsay uh, made a racial remark to him. Uh, you know, one more word out of you. This is according to the tweet, and you can see it in Millsap's uh, Twitter profile if you go in there. Uh, one more word out of you, and I'll send your black ass back to Louisiana. That's what he tweeted out. Uh, Dennis has issued multiple uh, denials saying uh, that he never said this. Categorically denies it. Quinn Snyder was asked about it after the game. You'll hear that coming up later this hour. And Quinn said he doesn't remember that. I mean, it was 2015. You're not going to remember every player exit interview, I guess. Uh, But he said that, um, you know, he just can't really fathom Dennis saying something like that. Uh, Rudy Gobert got asked about it. He was the only player asked in the post game. Uh, Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell weren't with the team in 2015, but Rudy was, and Rudy pointed out that he was actually fairly closely with Elijah, and he had never heard this story before. Uh, he said he was going to reach out to Elijah to learn more. He said it was hard to comment without more information, um, so he kind of left it there. Um, and you'll hear Rudy's response. It's me paraphrasing. You'll hear Rudy's response later in the hour. All right, we're going to take a break right now, and uh, when we come back. Tiger Woods' future, uh, Brian Taylor, with a great story about Tiger's legendary competitiveness, uh, which you know should serve him well because it's going to be a huge test. He's been he's been hurt really badly, um, so we'll see where it goes with his rehab. But we'll talk with Brian about that, and then the Jazz post game coming up after that. Stay with us. Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome in Brian Taylor. You hear him on Real Golf Radio every Saturday morning here on the Zone Sports Network. BT, good morning. Good morning, guys. We usually talk to you around the majors, and we will do that with the Masters coming up, but uh, major golf news here with Tiger Woods and the the one-car wreck. And I, I think the thing we all thought, and I assume you thought it too, when you saw the... The, either the video or the still pictures of the car, it's just it's a good thing he survived this. Before we get to the golf, we need to acknowledge that. Uh, without a doubt. You know, I mean, it's always disturbing to hear news like this. You know, we've, we've heard of Tiger Woods, um, you know, news of, of involving traffic incidents in the past. And it's, um, it's always a, you know, it's always a, a, an unnerving thing. You know, I mean, one day you're doing a, you know, you're hosting a tournament on the PGA Tour and doing an interview with Jim Nance talking about uh, hoping to come back and be ready for the Masters. And the next thing, you know, you hear about a car accident that uh, is severe and that he's in surgery and and uh, you don't know, right? And uh, looking at the wreckage, um, it I think the L.A. County uh, deputy said it best. You know, it's a, sort of a marvel of modern vehicle safety uh, features that allow someone to survive a crash that otherwise would be would have been fatal. You still think he is the face of golf? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if you were to say is who's the face of golf, I, I, I don't. I don't think you could make an argument for someone other than than Tiger Woods. Uh, you know, he's he's certainly done more um, for the game and, and and especially been more successful and and uh, popularized the game more than anyone since probably Arnold Palmer in the '60s when TV first started showing golf. So, yeah, I, I think Tiger's still the face of golf. So of everything you've heard and everything you've read, when will the face of golf be back on a golf course? Because it doesn't sound like it'll be any time soon of what they're talking about with his right leg. Yeah, so I mean, it sounds like it was you know, specifically the right leg and uh, maybe both legs a bit. Um, there were, you know, we learned some words, right? <laughs> learned, you know, he basically it's the shin bone and the bone that goes around the calf, so it's all below his knee, uh, the, around the fibula and tibula, uh, tibia. And then, um, you know, this, uh, I can't even remember the name of the word they used, but it's basically, it was, it was broken multiple times. Um, so, you know, I think most people just say shattered, but there was a more um, a technical term for that. And, and then there was also a compound uh, fracture, so it was breaking the skin. So it was pretty bad. Uh, I mean, this is, this is nasty stuff. And, um, you know, I talked to an orthopedic surgeon friend of mine. He'll be joining the show uh, this weekend to talk more in detail, but he expects that, uh, you know, with the rod and the pins and the screws and everything that was done to him that was during the emergency surgery, that he will be able to walk again, that he'll be able to play golf again. And um, I, I asked him kind of a time frame, and, and he said most people would probably be a year, and they'd be happy about it. He said, no one Tiger is probably going to be, you know, six months, uh, and he's going to be back at it. So, um, you know, I asked him if there's still a possibility of uh, infection, like what Alex Smith battled, and he said, Absolutely. Um, that's that's really something that they'll be watching. So you know, it's not it's not done yet. But um, you know, Tiger has been through a lot. You know, four knee surgeries, five back surgeries, still recovering from the one. So how how did that impact it? You know, certainly a 
a crash like that would have put some some stress on a, on a on an ailing back as well. So you know, I think there's a lot that we still need to to find out, but I think there's definitely hope that we'll see Tiger and and probably you know best case scenario expectations we'll see Tiger back on the golf course at at what level and 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 how good you know I guess that all remains to be seen. But uh, like I said, the, the one thing we know about Tiger is he's he's tough and and he's come back. His body has recovered from a whole lot. We saw a great outpouring by, obviously, former pros and current touring pros. What is his standing amongst his peers as far as, obviously, they respect him, but I'm talking about liking him. Yeah, that's a good one, BK, because I think that uh, in the beginning, uh, I think Tiger was a bit of a recluse. You know, he was uh, an intimidating figure out there that was really focused on himself and and, and breaking um records you know and doing things that others hadn't done before and you know and uh i think a a lot of his you know 15th club in the bag was you know the way he went about his work uh, on the golf course and not only did he involve the fans in in that intimidation you know getting them roaring and the fist pumps and you know just sort of overpowering a golf course and and winning at a clip that that we hadn't seen before um, and that didn't take a lot of friends. He didn't take a lot of friends with him. I mean, Marco Mira was about his only notable friend out there. I mean, he got to be pretty good buddies with Fred Couples as, as time went on. But, you know, you didn't hear about him palling around with a lot of the guys. And um, that's that's certainly changed in the last few years. Uh, you know, I mean, Tiger's gone through a lot, you know, off the golf course as well. And he's he's reached out, you know, and to the younger players, the, the Ricky Fowlers, Justin Thomases you know, those types of, of guys. And, and he's, he's definitely more gregarious now. And I think at, at the 20 plus years that we've covered Tiger Woods out on tour, I think he's probably most well-liked and well-received and more human, I guess, um, uh, friendly to, to others than we've ever known him out there. And I think that's something that he's come to learn and appreciate that, you know, that's, that's a fraternity he wants to be a part of. And at times when he wasn't sure he'd be able to be back out there, I think he missed it. And and, and realized, uh, you know, how much he appreciated the, the gregarious nature of, of the tour. And so he's made an effort. And I don't think he made much of an effort at all in, in the early stages. And maybe that was some of the coaching that, and training that he had from his dad, you know, who was, uh, you know, a former Marine and, and that type of thing. So um, there's, it's interesting to see the evolution. And, and lately you've hear, heard more comments from Tiger about, you know, how he's just enjoying the chance to be around his family and watch his kids grow up and play ball with his kids. And, and then most recently, we saw him in December before this latest back surgery playing golf with his son, Charlie, at the father-son, and, and that meant a ton to him. And so all those things are, are evolutions, you know, in his career to where he's accepting the fact that he's not uh, at, at the elite level he once was, that there'll still maybe be flashes and moments where he'll bust out and win, and win again. Um, but he's going to appreciate the time that he that he has and the opportunity that he has out there, and maybe relish a little bit about the career that he that he was able to put together. So when he was number one, and he had the intimidation factor, and it was useful, the only relationships he really built were with guys like O'Meara and Couples, who were from a generation previous, and they knew they weren't battling for number one anymore. But now the Tigers not battling for number one, as you say, it's more about flashes and that week when everything comes together. Now he can afford those relationships and doesn't cost him a chance to win the way it did, or it might have early on. Why give yeah, up the intimidation factor? Right, I think there's something to that. I think that you know Tiger was 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 trained and programmed to you know win at all costs. I I shared this story last night. I'll just just briefly. I had a chance to visit with him in 2005 after we just found out he had a knee surgery, and 
and I asked him, um, you know, in a private setting, I'm like, how, how could you go out and play like that without letting anybody know that you were, you know, that you were hurt to the point where you were going to require knee surgery? And he gave me this steely stare. This is like in 2005, I think. He gave me this steely stare, and he says, never let your, your competition know you're hurt. To hell with them. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm just asking the question. I'm not, I'm out, not out one of your – it literally was like a death stare. And uh, I just caught a little glimpse of that killer instinct that, that Tiger had. And, and I remember kind of chuckling to Bob later, like, you know, Phil Mickelson doesn't have that. And uh, that was uh, – they were the two rivals back in the day. And, and uh, anyway, it was just interesting. It was, it was a little brief insight, and I can't claim to have a lot, but that was one of those little brief insights to what I saw – out of a out of a competitor that just wanted to win at all costs, and I think that that was Tiger for most of his career. All right, uh, an uncomfortable question: Does Tony Finau have that? Uh, that is an uncomfortable question. Um, God, you know, um, I, I mean, Tony is way nicer than Tiger. <laughs> Let's just say it, right? I mean, right, Tony is right. a, is a go go ahead. No, I'm agreeing with you. I agree oh, with you, yeah. Brian. Yeah, yeah, he's like he is like there's 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 it'd be tough to find a nicer guy in or out of sports than Tony Fino and genuine, not not just when the cameras are on or or anything genuine. Um, does he have the ability to just step on a guy's throat? I think that that's something that we debate. I I have no question that you that he has that burning inside him. Um, he doesn't have the um, outward demonstrative displays that you might see out of some athletes. Like, I mean, John Rahm and he are good friends on tour and Rahm is the opposite, right? I mean, I think Rahm's a great guy too. Nice person, but he is like, boy, he has his, his, you know, he lets it out. Right. And you know, when he's upset or, or things aren't going well. And, and Tony is, has done a really good job of holding it in. I don't, I don't want to be critical of a guy like that. In fact, I think it's more impressive that if somebody competing at that highest level, he has to have that burning inside of him. And for him to be able to control his emotions and always have perspective, regardless of the outcome, I think that is, that is a, a high-quality trait in somebody and not something to, to um, criticize him for not showing that type of anger or emotion when it doesn't go his way. So it's hard for me to say on an outward scale that Tony doesn't have it. He doesn't seem to display it the same way as a Tiger Woods or, like as I just mentioned, to John Rahm. But I'm not so sure that means it's a weakness or that he can't win. I, I, I think he's got the talent, and, and I think he has um, the ability to, to close things out on Sunday. And it's just it's a bit of a pro, you know, progression. And sometimes, I mean, we look at a David Duvall. It took him a long time. It took Phil a long time to win majors, you know, even though he was winning other tournaments at a high clip. So um, we'll, we'll see. I guess I'm not, not ready to say he doesn't have that. I, I will say that I don't think very many people have what Tiger had. Or has, you know, I, I think that's pretty unique and comes, you know, Tiger's a once in a generational type of athlete, you know, for our sport. And, and I don't, I just, I don't think comparing anything of Tiger to anybody in particular is probably a fair comparison. Well, I'd agree with that last point. I would say there's absolutely no chance that Tony Finau has what Tiger has. It's not even remotely close. But to your point, so few people have what Tiger has. I mean, it's literally a handful across multiple sports. So I'd compare. I'd take PK's question, but I'd phrase: Does does Tony have what say Phil has? Because while Phil pales in comparison to the attitude Tiger walked around with, Phil does have a little bit of that, and we see it even now when it's a fun event and are mic'd up. Like Phil's a world class trash talker. 
So he's got a little bit of that, or he wouldn't pop off and say the stuff he does. The stuff he says is hilarious for PK and I sitting in front of our TVs watching it. It's like, okay, that's a funny line. But he's still got a little bit of that in a competitive times, and it did take him a while to win major championships and figure it out. So I guess the question is, is Tony on the path to win championships and figure it out? Maybe not win to the level Phil did, because Phil's still at certainly a top 20 and maybe a top 10 golfer all time. But to get one or two majors and to get 10 tour wins, I guess that's the level I'm wondering if Tony can get to. Because I think he has the talent to get to that level, and he's still got the time to get to that level, but he's got to get going. And when he's standing over a putt like he stood over on uh, the first playoff hole in L.A., you don't have to be a bad guy. You just got to make that putt. And if you make the putt, you win the tournament. Uh, you, you, you're, I mean, you're spot on, right? I mean, he had a, about a six-and-a-half-footer to close it out. And you know what? Great champions do that. They take it, they seize the moment, and they make it happen. Um, I mean, you, you know, even Max Homa. So those are two guys that were in a playoff that were both searching for their, their second PGA Tour win. I don't think there's anyone out there that would suggest that Max Homa, who now has twice as many Tour wins as Tony Finau, was the more superior golfer in that playoff. I think everyone recognizes Tony's talent and, and that they expected him to win. And so when he doesn't, it's, it's tough, right? And um, so there, there's some things that he's going to have to learn. I mean, on, uh, you know, making that putt when you're given the opportunity. Max Homa missed a little bunny on the 72nd hole or there wouldn't have even been a playoff. So, you know, he was able to dig deep, come back, find a way, find a shot off of that tree you know, make a par, move on and win. And those are the kind of things that Tony's still working through. I mean, clearly he's got to be able to do that. And, but, but you can't knock the guy for shooting a, a, a tournament, you know, uh, weekly, you know, the tournament low score for the week in the final round to chase him down and, and just not get it done. But when you're teeing off first in a playoff, um, you know, hit the middle of the green, put the pressure on the guy behind you to have to hit the green on that par three instead of going at the flag and having to draw a little too much and finding the bunker short side. I mean, those are those are some things that you're going to, yeah, you have to break that down and put that in your bag and, and figure out how to overcome those so that when you do get opportunities to win, you know, you let's go back to the Masters. He's in the final group. He's matching Tiger shot for shot till he gets to 12, and he hits a chip cut nine iron to a right flag. And with that win, you do not cut to that flag on, on 12, on sun, to the Sunday flag. You don't do it. If you saw what Tiger did, he took it straight over the bunker. You know, those are some things that you just have to learn in certain situations when to press and when not to press. So um, do I think he can get to 10 wins on tour and, and win three or three majors? I, I still do. Like you said, DJ, he's got time. He's got the talent. Uh, I think he just has to put that last little combination of, you know, how to close out tournaments. And, uh, and I, I think he definitely has it, I, and I expect him to do it. And at the same time, it was disappointing. I mean, this guy's got everybody in the state rooting for him and probably every Polynesian who's ever been born or yet to be born or has been born in a great beyond. So he's got, in terms of popularity, it literally is off the charts. Uh, so with that in mind, he's not going to be defined by missing a putt at the L.A. Open, nor is he going to be defined by winning the LA Open. For him, as you say, there's much bigger stuff out there. So that's why I I didn't really sweat it that he didn't make that putt. It's not like he doesn't want to win. I get all that. But the LA Open, it's nice to have. But you look at somebody like Kepka, who I brought up the other I think on Monday, mm-hmm. that I, I think on the on the tour, he only really I think he almost like he, he only has eight wins. 
He's got some other wins in the European Tour and whatnot. But on the PJ Tour, he's got eight wins. But four of them are majors, right? So he stands out. So I think that that's the goal. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I want to get your response to it. Going forward here, I would have been way more dismayed if that's in six weeks in Augusta when he misses that what you labeled the six-and-a-half-footer than the L.A. Open. I, I want to know as far as the mindset to be able to do it then because I think that's what's going to define Finau in 10 years or so as he ages out of it and gets closer to the senior tour, whatever they call it now. Respond to that. Yeah, no, I mean, look, the the major Tiger put – Jack, I think even more so, uh, began the the focus on majors. Tiger followed that up and made the emphasis on major championships. You golf, professional golfers, the PGA Tour, um, European Tour, professional golf in general. They are measured. Tour players are measured by the the majors, right? That is the measuring stick. And so you're you're 100 right. I mean, Brooks Koepka has got immortality with his with the way he went on that major streak. You know, even if he only has the the single digit wins. Um, so that, that is where you actually absolutely make your career. So if Tony goes out and wins a couple of majors and those are the only tournaments he ends up winning, um, is that a bigger deal than picking up the LA open in Puerto Rico? hundred percent. Right. I mean, there's not even, that's not even an argument, but you know, I mean, Andy North won two tournaments in his career and both of them were us Opens. and Andy North doesn't exactly get the same level of respect that, that some of the other players, I would suggest that, you know, um, Tony's had a better career than than Andy North, and some people, and you could argue that he's got two U.S. Open. What, what are we going to say? But um, I, I just think it's, um, I, I think Tony, um, back to your point, uh, he ha- has to have it done in the majors. You know, he's Boyd Summerhays' coach says that he's built for big tournaments. We've seen in his career that you know, I think the best tournament to yet in his young career back in 2015 was in uh, was in Washington at the PGA Championship or the U.S. Open there at Chambers Bay. You know, and it was a big golf course. It was a tough golf course, and Tony played the best that he'd played there. And we've started to see that over and over, uh, where he, you know, the bigger the course, the bigger the tournament, it seems to be the better Tony plays. And you know, we saw him in contention at Shinnecock, you know, when Brooks ended up beating him there. And you know, he just. He's, he keeps putting himself there, and I have to think a, a, a player that's able to continue to put himself there is going to be able to break through and win one there. Now, it's, it's an interesting study. I'm not a sports psychologist, but you can go back, and, and one of the interesting things about Brooks Kepka, he went, a, he went a tough route. He went over to the European Tour, and it was basically the European Challenge Tour, like the, the web.com Corn Ferry Tour of the European Tour, and he went over there and he got some wins. And that boosted him up to the European Tour, and he got some wins, and he got into some world ranking points, which got him into some PGA Tour events. So he did it winning. Now, Tony turned pro real early uh, as a teenager and you know, didn't get a chance to play college golf. And, and a lot of the things that Bob talked about on our show is this progress of winning when you win at all levels you know, and, and just understanding how to win. And I guess the one thing you could say is Tony hasn't had that per se, you know, the way some of the other guys have done. I mean, you look at Tiger's career, he dominated junior golf. He dominated at Stanford and college golf. And then he immediately went out and dominated tour golf. Now, again, Tiger's obviously, as we've, as we've established, is, is not like any other player. But that's the one thing that maybe Tony's resume doesn't have is a long history of winning at those various levels. And so, you know, maybe that's just a, a little hump that he's got to get over. But I can't. I don't think you can find anybody out there that feels like once he gets the one, it's going to open the floodgates. And Because and, uh, Tony's such a different player than he was from Puerto Rico years ago. And, and I think there's a lot still to be had for Tony. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that's, those are the thoughts that come to mind. 
Well, we appreciate a few minutes as always. Real Golf Radio coming up on uh, Saturday morning every week right here on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Taylor join us, and he and Bob Castro will be here on Saturday. Brian, thanks for a few minutes to talk a little Tony because a lot of people are really invested in him. Boy, you can just see it on Twitter. It's like, come on, Tony, do it. It's a lot harder to, to, to watch golf when you're rooting for somebody than when you're just watching it play through, that's for sure. So yeah. we're all wishing Tony the best, man. All right, thanks, Brian. You got it. There's Brian Taylor, and you hear him and Bob Casper Saturday morning's Real Golf Radio. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's time for the best of the Jazz postgame show as the Jazz blow out the Lakers. Here's Jake Scott. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Jazz beat the Lakers 114 to 89. They moved to 26 and 6 on the season. They are now five game, uh, games better than the Lakers in the loss column. Quite the cushion as the second half uh, schedule was released yesterday. Uh, but the Jazz really came out a competitive game in the first quarter. The Jazz really poured it on in the second quarter, making a bunch of threes, and then basically a- ended the game in the third and uh, obviously pulled away to a big-time victory in the fourth. The Jazz had six players in double figures. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy, or excuse me, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley very close to triple doubles. Donovan 13 points, 10 boards, 8 assists. Mike Conley 14 points, 8 boards and eight assists. So, big-time uh, win for the Utah Jazz. Let's uh, get started with some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. We'll get started with Tony Jones, the athletic. Coach, is there anything that you guys can take away from this game long-term? Um, you know, obviously, you know, they didn't have AD or Dennis. Um, you know, we're, we're aware of that. Um, you know, they're, they're the defending champs, one of the best teams in the league. You know, and as I've said, you know, our focus really, Tony, is just on trying to get better, um, no matter who we're playing against um, or what the situation. So um, those are the things that we want to we want to try to take with us. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, I apologize that this question isn't uh, germane to tonight's game specifically, but I have to ask. Derek, can you? Excuse me one second. Derek, can you have him? Just a little. Post game workouts. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry, Quinn. Uh, this no. Game- this question isn't relevant to tonight's game specifically. Uh, before the game, Elijah Millsap tweeted out an allegation that uh, at his exit interview six years ago, uh, Dennis issued a bigoted statement towards him in a meeting that you were present at, uh, threatening to, quote, send his black ass back to Louisiana. I was just wondering if you recalled such an incident or, or what your comment was on that. Well, I think Dennis, you know, addressed that. Um, you know, and honestly, I, I don't remember the, the conversation. Um, but I, I'd be, 
I'd be shocked if I can't fathom Dennis saying something like that. Kristen Kenny, Joss TV. Coach Donovan's told us before that he doesn't think about if he's one of 11, he just focuses on doing other things to impact the game. We saw that tonight. Uh, how would you describe just the growth that you've seen from him? Well, first, I, I thought when you said one of 11, I thought you were going to say one of 14 or however many we have on our roster because, um, you know, I, I think that's how he sees himself. And, and that goes to your question um, that Donovan's about trying to win. Um, obviously, wanted to play well. There's lots of ways to play well. Um, he's two assists short of a triple-double tonight. Um, so if you want to look at the box score, I'm looking at eight assists and 10 rebounds, um, more than I am, you know, what he shot from the field. So I, I thought he did a lot of things tonight to help us win. Um, you know, he and Mike both for those guys to have the kind of game, um, that they did, you know, rarely do you have two players that are, you know, that close to having a triple double type night. And we had that tonight. Ben Anderson, KSLsports.com. Quinn. When you think back on when you've played teams like the Warriors that had a really strong identity, why is it so hard when you know what they're going to do to prevent them from doing any of it? Because it seems like that's what teams are struggling with you. Um, you know, as the season goes on, um, you know, first of all, we, we've had, you know, obviously teams that have taken things away from us. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the thing that we've talked about is, is really to take what the defense gives us, you know, so on any given night, um, you know, the emphasis is on, you know, guys reading the situation, reading coverages. Um, and I think our team understands that, you know, there's games where um, Rudy and Fabe spend the majority of the night rolling and running and offensive rebounding. And those things don't always show up in the stat sheet. And then there's other times when, you know, people are staying with shooters and, and those opportunities to score are, are there more for them. So, um, you know, I think the, the fact that we have, you know, a lot of guys that are capable of making plays um, and that our, our team, you know, likes to play that way. Um, you know, that's part of who we are and part of our identity. And, and hopefully we can do that, uh, you know, regardless of what we're seeing, but obviously, uh, there's there's teams, there's excellent teams, excellent coaches in the league, and people are going to try to take things away. And, you know, we have to fight to try to get you know, the things we want in the game. There's Quinn Snyder. His team wins over the Lakers 114-89. to Did have some comments on a, a controversial tweet from Elijah Millsap that came out an hour before the game. I'm sure there'll be more conversation about that as uh, the day goes forward. Dennis Lindsay denying uh, he made those comments to Elijah Millsap. Den, uh, Quinn Snyder saying he does not specifically remember but cannot fathom Dennis Lindsay saying those things. Let's, uh, let's move on to the players. Uh, let's now hear from Donovan Mitchell. All right, we'll start with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Yep. Hey, Don, how bad did you want that, those last two assists tonight? I can honestly say that, you know, it was if it was meant to happen, it was meant to happen. I went out there, you know, just tried to make the play. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen, but, you know, I was a little more aware of it this time than the Indiana game. I'll say that. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Donovan, was it important for you guys to to um, without Anthony Davis and, and Donovan Mitchell, to, I mean, and Dennis Schroeder to kind of build a um, 
you know, a margin for error, um, you know, just in terms of being able to win comfortably, you know, just for when those guys come back, because you know, those games are going to be so close and so hotly contested. Yeah. I think, you know, you remember the uh, Brooklyn game when um, KD was out, you know, obviously Kyrie played, but the, the biggest thing was like, you know, the other guys on that team, you know, their level rose, you know, there's been a few instances where guys have been out and the guys, you know, levels just rise, you know, who don't necessarily get certain shots because they rightfully so go to Anthony Davis or Dennis Schroeder or whatever. So, you know, we came into this game like, look, we understand that, you know, they still have LeBron over there, but there's going to be guys, you know, whether it's Taylor Horton Tucker, Kuz, Caruso, like guys are going to be more aggressive. So we just want to continue to keep the same mindset and focus as if they were out there. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, there everybody's coming for us, you know, and I think the biggest thing, the best thing about this game was we continue to keep our foot on the gas, you know, every step of the way. Um, there wasn't a moment in the game where it was like, okay, like we kind of played like we were up. And I think that was something that was impressive. You know, obviously the ball movement, the defense was great, but our relentlessness, our relentlessness, you know, I think was something that, you know, we can applaud ourselves for, but continue to build off of and look to games like this, where there may be games where guys, stars may be out or whatever, you know, and look to see how we continue to play, you know, for the full 48. Chris and Kenny, Joss TV. Rarely do you have in a game two guys who are so close to triple doubles, you and Mike. Uh, talking about Mike, just how would you describe just what the little things that this guy does? I mean, we, we talk about it night in and night out. And, you know, I mean, what's left to say about him? <laughs> I mean, he tried to run a play for me to start the game when he just made three threes in a row, when the play for him to shoot a three. And I'm like, bro, like, stop, like, shoot it. Like, you know what I mean? And I think – you know, that in itself is just a, a great example of just him, you know, as a person. He could have easily – he had like seven or eight in the first, you know, however many minutes, you know. Um, and I told him, I said, you could have easily just went for 30, you know. But he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it do it his way, which is, you know, team basketball, team-oriented. And, you know, when you have a guy like that, you know, that I can play alongside and, and I sit next to him in the locker room, I talk to him all the time, whatever, you know, that just rubs off on not just me but everybody, you know. And I think that's something that's really, really stands out, you know, because – not a lot of guys are like that, you know, and I think for him to, to, to continue to play, you know, like himself, you know, regardless of, you know, the all-star thing, you know, he could have easily went out there and said, I'm going to shoot and show uh, that I'm this, you know, and he continued to play his way in his, his basketball, which is helping the team. And, you know, that's just sense of one maturity and, you know, selflessness. And I think that just stands out, you know, with Mike where uh, throughout his entire career. John Kuhn, AP. Donovan, how, how gratifying is it to be able to impact other areas of the box score uh, on a night where your, your shot didn't fall early and you, you were still able to get in there and get rebounds and, and get assists and get steals? Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is understanding that, you know, the shot's not going to fall every night. You know, there's going to be times, you know, I missed a lot of easy ones. You know, sometimes you just got to chalk it up to, you know, and not going in, you know, but – you know, it's uh, I look at this game as kind of similar to the uh, Denver game, you know, last year when I made All-Star and I wasn't I didn't score, I think at one point or whatever, but I didn't do anything else. 
You know what I mean? So like for me, it was like, okay, how do I find ways to continue to make an impact? You know, how do I help my team, you know, in other ways, you know, hustle plays, the defense, uh, passing the ball. You know, I think that's, that's the, the sense of, that's the, the maturity that I'm trying to continue to have throughout my, my career. And I think tonight was a, an example of that. Um, I feel like I can, you know, continue to build off that, you know, the shot's going to fall, you know, there's, I took shots that I'm comfortable with, you know, I could say maybe two I didn't, I didn't like, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, continuing to play, like I said, team basketball, but also doing anything necessary, uh, going out there, whether it's, like I said, uh, defense, assist, rebounds, steals, whatever it may be, uh, just have my, make my presence felt, you know, not just as a scorer. David James, KUTV. Donovan, the team had 22 made threes tonight, and ESPN's reporting that's 50 in two games is an NBA record, not a record. Sorry, was a say that again. Say that again. Sorry. NBA, ESPN is reporting tonight that the 50 made three-pointers in the last two games by the Jazz is an NBA record. And the way the ball was moving, it's not a record I was aware of, but the way the ball was moving, even if that's not sustainable, is something close to that sustainable for the rest of the season? Because we've seen games where you didn't take anything close to that or make enough. It's clearly the goal. How much of this is sustainable? Um, I think I think it is sustainable. I think the biggest thing is just the level of concentration. It's not always going to be 23s. It's not always going to be, you know, 50 attempts or 40 attempts. You know, but understanding that, you know, take the looks when they're there. We passed up on a bunch too. You know, that's that's the that's the crazy part about that. Um, I think understanding that teams are going to play. Some teams are going to run us off the line. Some teams are going to play and scramble. Some teams are going to try and switch. Some teams are going to try and do all these different things. Uh, but the biggest thing is we have to remain consistent in what we do. You know, there are going to be times where you know they want us to shoot the mid range and the, the kind of a and kind of guard the line. You know, but in that case, we run something different to get a get a three to get a get to the rim. You know, and understanding that that's we basically seen every coverage at this point, you know, and now it's a matter of how do we build to get better at each, each coverage, you know, and I think that's, you know, tonight was the past two games. It's been teams that kind of scramble, you know, and um, the heat or the heat are doing the same thing. And or I'm not, I'm not really sure what Orlando does, but you know, like that's the biggest thing. How can we adapt from game to game to still get what we want and not let the defense dictate how we play? That was Donovan Mitchell, 13 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, very close to a triple-double. Not Donovan's best shooting night, but still had a very nice night for him. Very uh, uh, unselfish, passing the ball very well. Let's now move on to Rudy Gobert. There's Rudy Gobert, 18 points on 8 of 12 shooting. Rudy also had 9 rebounds uh, to go along with those 18 points. And really, the Lakers uh, shifted their defensive focus in the second half. They hugged the three-point shooters, uh, had a barrage hit on them in the first half, adjusted, and then uh, Rudy feasted. Derek Favors did a nice job, too. He had 12 points and 7 boards coming in off the bench. Let's now hear from Mike Conley. We will get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Mike. So, uh... Donovan told us a few minutes ago that uh, they tried to run some early plays for you and, and you kept trying to set him up instead. And he finally had to tell you to knock it off and, and shoot the ball. Um, just wondering, you know, how you're feeling out there tonight, especially in the wake of, you know, not making the all-star game and, and kind of what that support from your teammates means. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, it's real cool. You know, Donovan is, um, that kind of guy, Rudy, all those guys, um, we care about each other. You know, they obviously know it was a tough day for me, um, as well as also something to celebrate for them. So, um, you know, coming out to that tonight, I just, you know, I honestly, it was just, a, just playing the way that I felt I've been playing. And, 
um, just with a little bit, a little bit more um, motivation, you know, and uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of how my career has been. And um, I'm thankful to have the teammates I have and the coaching staff and uh, support around me to just, you know, keep me, keep me locked in and focused on what we're doing. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah, Mike, just what was your reaction when you, you know, learned the alternate bid and then also, you know, kind of getting passed over again when the commissioner's, with the commissioner's decision today? Um, man, it was, it was tough. You know, I really, uh, I really, really thought, um, you know, this was, this was the year, you know, I've joked with the guys on the team that I blame them. We should have started the year 31 and 0. Um, maybe that would have gave me a better chance, but I don't know what else, uh, you know, what else to do, you know, when you know, I was telling them it's hard for us because a lot of these games we've played, we've we've won by, you know, a lot, you know, double double digits. So, you know, you're not normally playing late in the fourth quarter and stuff like that. So we're just, you know, as far as statistics and things, like our team is that good right now. And we've got such balance across the board. And um, it's, it's frustrating to not get three in, whether it's me, JC, or anybody um, who's deserving of it for, for what we're doing uh, around the league right now. Uh, you know, we're making history in so many different ways. And, and we should have been rewarded for that. I'm curious because you, you, you know, you had a good situation in Memphis before, but you've been around the league enough that you know that not every team is, is that ball sharing and, you know, that kind of unselfish with it. How different is this situation than, than other situations you hear about in the league? And, and how unique is it really kind of from the inside? Uh, it's really unique. You know, it's really unique to have, to have, you know, the whole team buy in to an idea and to a, a, a style of play um, into a, a, you know, team buying in on sacrificing for each other. And, you know, you've got a lot of guys on this team that, that can go and average 20 points a game um, for a season. But yet, you know, we see guys on a nightly basis, you know, it could be J JC one night, it could be Don, it could be Rudy, Boyan, you know, Royce, anybody steps up to the plate and, and for us to just, you know, kind of feed off of whoever it is that night is, is special. And, um, and we've really bought into to being unselfish and getting excited for the next guy. And you don't find that, you know, rarely around the league. Um, you know, since I've been around the league, do you find teams or go up against teams like that? Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. I want to talk a little bit about Donovan um, on a night like tonight when he's struggling to find the net. He just never quits. He continues to play with so much force and does whatever it takes to help this team. Um, what do you see there? What is that like to, to witness and be a part of, of that? Yeah, I mean, that's just growth. The growth of Donovan Mitchell, man. He's, you know, he's a guy that we, we count on night, on a nightly basis to, you know, do what he does and be and stay aggressive and for him not to have his shot fall early in the game, but to continue to facilitate, continue to get rebounds, continue to play defense. Um, you know, all those things will, will take him a long way, you know, cause they're going to, there's going to be games where he, he has a slow start and then ends up with 30 points and, and, you know, a game winner. So um, he has to keep that same aggressive mindset as he goes through uh, this season in his career. And um, I think he's just getting better at it. 
There you go. Mike Conley, 14 points, 8 assists, 8 rebounds. And you can tell he's bummed. Uh, he didn't make the All-Star game. Thought he had a chance at it. Uh, obviously have, is having a really nice year and uh, disappointed that he didn't get that. But still, you can tell he's uh, appreciating playing on this team and having a great time doing it. Let's wrap things up with uh, and hear from LeBron James. Okay. Uh, Mike Trudeau, please. Hey, LeBron. Frank was talking about the continuity of Utah and, and benefiting them. And I just wondered if you've seen them evolve on offense to the point where they're taking, I think, seven more threes this year from last year. Uh, and if, you know, with the same roster and all that, is there, is that, how does that impact the way that you guys need to defend them? Um, I think, yeah, yeah. They came back with the same roster, but I think what I noticed more than anything is those guys are, they're fully healthy. Um, I think Mike Conley is back to himself, um, fully healthy moving. You can see the way he's moving um, out there on the floor. And, uh, and it's trickled down to everybody else, you know. So, um, you know, they're playing some really good balls, a really good team. Yeah, Markeith was just talking about the kind of managing through mental fatigue uh, and and how that's been something that's important. This team needs to go through some struggles. You know, last year's team had the four-year lose, uh, four-game losing streak in December and then bounced back. Uh, you've talked about this extensively this year, but how do you lead through that, that way with teammates that are trying to find themselves and, and trying to do a little bit more with AD out? Yeah, it's just a it's challenging for all of us, um, you know, especially for some of our young guys, some of our guys that haven't been in this position before where they need to uh, do a little bit more than, you know, what they're asked in, in a normal situation. Uh, you know, and, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, you know just, just speaking about AD, and obviously that's a big hit, but we also haven't had Dennis along the stretch for a few games too. He's a big piece of our of our, of our puzzle as well. So, um, you know, and everyone has, uh, you know, been, been put in positions that they – you know, wouldn't be put in under normal circumstances. But, you know, um, it's always about staying confident, uh, continue to give my teammates the, the courage and, and the confidence out there on the floor and uh, to make plays. And, uh, you know, it's a tough stress for us. But, um, you know, if, uh, you know, this won't uh, define who we will be for the rest of the season and, and for the for the long haul, that's for sure. Okay, Kyle, then please. Hey, LeBron, um, obviously the most pressing thing is, is not having your two best players, but Arkeef was saying that, um, you know, early on in the season, you guys were winning on talent a lot. Um, do you think that sort of the gap that you guys have and you're at full strength um, maybe is contributing a little bit to some of the struggles you're having now as a team mentally uh, when you're trying to carry on without those guys? Um, well, obviously, we all got to do a better job, of, you know, in our own individual self and that will carry on to the team and, uh, you know, and, and pick up in the in, in 80s and Dennis, um, you know, absence. Um, you know, we just hit a rough patch, you know, and it happens throughout the course of a season. Um, you know, you don't want it to happen, but when it does, you know, I think it defines character. It, it challenges you and, you know, you just uh, get ready for the bounce back. So uh, you learn from tonight, uh, learn from the previous games and then get ready for the next one. Okay. Dave McMenamin. Hey, LeBron, you've mentioned the uh, the term or the phrase being comfortable, uh, being uncomfortable in, in the past. Is that type of uh, time uh, that you go through, does it allow you to, to learn teammates better or, or see a different side of them? Especially you, you, you basically have, you know, four new guys uh, on this team, five new guys in the rotation. Uh, and can that help down the line? No, absolutely. Um you know, always the best teacher in life is experience. And, um, you know, and for us to be going through this right now, I think it's going to benefit our team tremendously. Okay, Dan Wilkie, please. LeBron, as a group, um, really since February, the team has not shot the ball well. Um, 
how demoralizing is that or have you have you sensed that that's a, like an on-court demoralizer these games where you guys are 20 percent 24 percent stuff like that and and what's it going to take to shake out of it yeah obviously you know we, we know we need to we have to make shots on the perimeter um it's that simple um and we know that and you know, but we can't put more added pressure on ourselves like i'm not me personally i know i haven't shot the ball uh, you know, as I did as the you know, first 20 games of the season, but I haven't put more added pressure on myself because I know I put the work in. So, you know, all my teammates do the same. Don't put too much added pressure on them, on themselves. Uh, when you put the work in, you know, I think you you, you live with the results. But, you know, we, we have to make some, you know, um, some shots from, the, from next year. You know, we're, we're really good in the paint. Uh, we do a good job with that. But, um, you know, we're not making threes. Uh, we're not getting to the free throw line. And, um, you know, it's been very difficult on our team, you know, to score. Okay, well, just one last question, Sarah. Hey, LeBron, uh, you mentioned that, you know, experience is the best teacher. How much of this is just trying to repeat in the NBA? And uh, is there anything you can take from those pre- previous uh, experiences trying to do that? No, I think every 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 experience is its own challenge. I mean, you, you can always, uh, you know, you can you can grab certain things from certain moments and things that, you know, through that nature, things that, uh, that you've had, in, you know, in your career and, you know, different obstacles that you have, but, you know, every, every year is his own challenge. And, um, you know, and, um, you know, there will be crowned uh, a champion this year. Um, and, and who we need to, we, we want to be a part of that. We, we hope that we're crowned, uh, the champion, but we like to put in the work and I, and I'm all, I'm always about, you know, the process and, uh, the good and the bad, the ugly, you know, and, and everything that comes with it. So, um, you know, you can gain some experience from in the previous year, but you know, this year is its own challenge and, uh, we take a full, we take a full strength and, uh, and, uh, and then try to get healthy and get ready to, uh, to play, you know, the game of basketball, how we've uh, grown accustomed to playing here with the Lakers. There's LeBron. Uh, LeBron only 19 points, 7 to 13 shooting, 4 rebounds, uh, 4 assists. Had a bunch of nice things to say about how the Jazz are playing and uh, specifically about Mike Conley as well. But the Jazz winners, 114 to 89 over the Lakers. Up next tomorrow night, the Jazz on the road in Miami to take on the Heat. That game will tip off at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Conley on a 6-0 run, fires the three. Good! 9-0 run! Timeout, Frank Vogel. Jazz by 10. Like that! Just like that! Boom! Donovan gets his own rebound. Throws it out to Royce. Rotates to Bogdanovich. Sets his feet. Fires away. Bullseye! Conley pushes. Goes to the far beam corner. Comes off a Gobert pick with the left hand. Lobs to Rudy. Another dunk. There throttling this team right now. Donovan catch and shoot with 1.6 seconds left on the inbound. He got it! Three ball right side for Donovan. The first of the three triple-double items is off the charts. Conley, high pick and roll. Kick out Clarkson. Catch and shoot three. Good. 18 of 38 for three for the Jazz. And the Jazz go on to beat the Lakers 114 to 89. Second quarter, they broke it open, 39-24, just buried him with the offense, 15-point advantage there. And then it was the defense in the third quarter, 27-17, and 
PK, somewhere in the middle of that game, it was all over and everybody knew it. No drama at all. You get amped up for a Laker game because it's the Lakers, but they're missing Anthony Davis, they're missing Dennis Schroeder, and they can't hang with the Jazz on that night. Yeah, you never know in the playoffs, though, buddy. <laughs> there it is. Post-game quote. Markeith Morris, we see the Jazz. We know they beat our ass tonight. But in the playoffs, it's a different story. Leave that out there. See you again this summer. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, Lakers got a long way to go to be able to worry about playing the Jazz. See, it's okay for the Jazz to be worrying about the Nets, but not the Lakers. Yeah. All comes down to are the Lakers healthy? Because I know no matter what you say right now, you believe if the Lakers are healthy, it won't matter if they're the four or five seed. That's not going to matter to LeBron. Well, as Mark Jackson said last night, they need Dennis Schroeder back. Jeez. You get him back, Katie bar the door. Rudy Jim. can't bar the basket. Jazz will head out on a pre-All-Star break road trip now. Miami and Orlando back-to-back on Friday and Saturday. Four-game trip, and then they get a break. Yeah, that's that's assuming that uh, Miami and Orlando show up. I mean, the way these guys are playing, they may just say, hey, come on. The NBA revealed the second-half schedule for the teams that are willing to show up. Jazz is going to open the second half on March 12th at home against Houston. The regular season is going to end mid-May. May 16th at Sacramento. And then, you know, if they do decide to play the Jazz, I think the Jazz would be very complimentary and say, nice of you to show up. Oh, Jim Boylan. Nice. String them all together, PK. Stream of consciousness. You're on a roll. Well, who's to say that, uh, you know, the way that the Boise metro area is exploding, they don't get an NBA team, and then obviously Boise would have their crack. May 22nd. Think they can get some first-team all-whackers? Oh, that community's got several. Yeah. <laughs> Having been there, everywhere you turn around. Playoffs start May 22nd. So, brace yourself for July finals. Well, I think they already listed the date. July 22nd, I yep. think, is the, end, is the end. Ahead of the Olympics. That's the normal uh, that's the normal timing. Two months of playoffs after the regular season. Yeah, they've already put that out there. They haven't put the actual days, but they put the beginning and the end. Former Utah Jazz guard Elijah Millsap made allegations that then-GM Dennis Lindsay made a bigoted comment to him during an exit interview in 2015. Allegedly saying, quote, if you say one more word, I'll cut your black ass and send you back to Louisiana. Close quote. Lindsay categorically denied making the comment. Quentin Snyder said in the postgame, honestly, I don't remember the conversation. I can't fathom Dennis saying something like that. Ru- Rudy Gobert was asked about it. He's a player, one of the few players on the team who was here in 2015. He acknowledged that he was uh, actually close to Elijah Millsap while Elijah was here. Said it was the first he'd heard of it. Pointed out it was six years ago, and he didn't know what to say. Kind of shook his head after the six years. Said he'd be reaching out to Elijah, but really didn't know what to add at this point. All right, well, that's logical of Rudy, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is an interesting situation here because in our community, you know, we had the Morgan Scowley thing over the summer, and that was, I think, it was seven years ago, if I remember correctly. I may be off. And now Elijah Millsap six years ago. Very interesting that... It's not that, I don't know, it has any relationship. It's just interesting in a sense that it's been all these years. Now, obviously, Dennis Lindsay comes out strongly and says he categorically denies it. 
uh, Quinn Snyder listening to him last night. You and I talked during the game, and we were talking about how it's going to be interesting to see what Quinn Snyder has, has to say. And I think it was the second question that was asked of him in the post game. He said he doesn't remember and he can't fathom it. Uh, that's reasonable. If it wasn't that big of a deal, what, what, there's so much more that is out there besides one little uh, snippet of a conversation. You know, what was going on prior to the, the actual, assuming. What's the backstory that would have yeah. led to that kind of statement being made? You what can't kind assume of, it's true, but what? Yeah, what was what the context kind of, of the conversation? What was going yeah. on? Was it was it their literal exit interview? Because it was in April. Uh, at that, I think he said yeah. April, right? Was yeah. it the exit interview, yes. or was it? A, that's what other, it, that's what Elijah Millsap claims. Okay, so yeah, well, uh, what kind the whole of thing what, is bizarre? Right. What kind of conflict would have been happening over the end of the season leading up to that? What would have happened in a in that literal conversation leading up to that? But what would have been happening in the weekend, or week or two leading up to that? There could have been that kind of conflict. You know, I think we've all at some if you've worked long enough, at some point you've had conflict with your boss, and sometimes it just happens in a second. But sometimes there's a big buildup to it. So, I don't know. Yeah, uh, why, the whole why, thing. I don't, I found I don't know. Fascinating. I don't know why now. I don't know why it took so long. And if it takes so long, why does it come out now? I mean, to go to you know the constant parallels because this is, well, for the individuals involved, it's a one-off. But when you look at the bigger, you know, in sports and in society, you know, why did Andy Williams talk when he did and say what he said about Deloy Hansen? Well, he'd been furloughed a long time. He clearly had not wanted to say anything earlier because he'd been afraid for you know, what it would do to his employment. But once he was furloughed and he figured his employment was done, he was willing to say something. And with Deloy out, he thought he'd be back. And ironically, before all this broke yesterday, he was tweeting that he finally took another job because he hadn't heard anything from RSL. And, I mean, he's put it out there on social media. He thinks he's toxic because he's the one who said what he said and started it, and then subsequently other people said stuff. But Andy feels like he's still paying the price. So, you know, why didn't Elijah say it earlier? Why does he say it now? Why didn't he say it later? Again, it's to your point, what's all the backstory? You know, we can look at other situations and see the backstory that existed. And there must be one for this, but Elijah Millsap was off my radar, and I'm pretty sure he was off your radar. I hadn't thought about him in a long time. I don't know what's going on with him and where he is in his career. So, probably not the last we've heard of it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Rudy says after he's communicated with Elijah. That might be the next thing that comes up. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. John Collins gets the ricochet rebound, though, out to Gallo. He fakes. Now he's going to shoot the three. And he makes another one. Ten three-pointers. A new Hawks record. Oh, my goodness. Gallo. Rubio flips it up to Nerebol with a scoop of the right hand. Controlled by Carter to White. White to Levine with a pull-up. Right side three. Bam! All-star Zach Levine with 35. Timeout, Minnesota. Shea giving it. Keith Horford driving on a portal. Right corner of Dort for three in the lead. And wins to take it. Lou Dort, buzzer-beating, game-winning three-pointer, 102-99, PK. Yeah. He was the only guy on that side of the court. You get open shots, that, that was an open shot, and he knocked it down. Sometimes yeah, it's a real great story. 
I mean, he played one year with the Devils and then goes undrafted. Oops. Yeah. Undrafted, man. I mean, he's not a star by any stretch. Oh, he's a tough, tough defender. And he's had a big-time body, NBA body, since he was a kid. He's been fortunate with that. So I like to see those types of stories of guys who get overlooked and have to fight and do all that stuff. And then he hits that game winner. It was fun for him. Zion Williamson was not overlooked. Number one pick in the draft. 32 points for the All-Star. And the Pelicans take down the Pistons, 128-118. Oh, he made a statement. I bet you they were saying, yeah, see, he's showing he's worthy. <laughs> I love how the announcers got to get into that cliche. You knew that was coming once Conley hit a couple of buckets. Had the first five points of the game. <laughs> Conley's on one. Here we go. <laughs> Danilo Gallinari was on one. 10 of 12 from the three-point line. 13 of 16 from the floor. Made a couple of free throws and finished with 38 points off the bench for the Hawks as they beat the Celtics. 127-112. Celtics two games under 500 now. Uh, 10 of 12 from three. I'd retire. <laughs> and go out on top. Warriors win again. That was the game on ESPN right before the Jazz game. Warriors Close out the Pacers, 111-107. Steph Curry, 24 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. An all-around game from Steph. Warriors finding their stride a little bit, PK. Great. Potential first-round opponent for the Jazz or too good? They'll climb in the standings. Not going to find them in the 8th spot. Oh, we're not going to do this now, are we? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Come on! I can't look ahead to the finals. I can't look ahead to the first round. Come on. Come on! Yeah, you passed the All-Star break. Before. The Warriors are that. eighth right now, right? I'm not going to get involved in that. Too soon. Suns had a chance to catch the Lakers for third in the West, but lost to the Hornets 124-121. Lamelo Ball had 20 points and eight assists. Gordon Hayward looked like he got away with a foul at the end of the game on Devin Booker. No All-Star status at home for Devin Booker. Yes, he's named a replacement for Anthony Davis. Yeah, well, that's good news for the Jazz then if I'm going to go because I don't want to face the Lakers in the first round. So I'm going to all-out panic that they're going to be fourth. So I need the Suns to start losing then. I mean, where does that end? And it will be in the second round, obviously, but uh, where would that end? Oh, well, I think your you're worrying about that would uh, end on May 16th when the regular season finishes with the Jazz in Sacramento. Or you can just sit back, my, watch my, the basketball, and then that will, find out what the That will be when it ends, yeah. but when does it begin? And it doesn't begin now. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. A lot of college hoops tonight. Utah hosting UCLA at the Huntsman Center at 6 o'clock. Uh, USC over the weekend. The Utes are going to have a say here in the Pac-12 title race down the stretch. Seeing the top two teams in the league. That game is at 6 o'clock tonight at the Huntsman Center. You can see it on the Pac-12 Networks. BYU hosting USF. Marriott Center, 7 o'clock on the CBS Sports Network. USF 4-7 and seven in league. Ought to be a W for BYU. Oh, just except everyone should be a W except for Gonzaga. Gonzaga. This is a crappy league. And we can say, oh, man, USF last year, they were, they were, they were on the come. Will we stop with this? This is a garbage league. BYU's way better. They should beat every team except Gonzaga. It's as simple as that. That is almost how it's played out this year. They've got one loss to somebody. They're 0-2 against Gonzaga. 
eight and one against everybody else in the league. We made a big deal about BYU's football schedule. Well, this is their annual conference basketball schedule. Save Gonzaga and occasionally St. Mary's. SUU beat Northern Arizona 85-80 last night. Weber State's at Sac State tonight in Big Sky action. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I think he's probably looking somewhere around June uh, right now from what I'm hearing. But, yeah, I mean, his leadership, he doesn't have to be out there throwing it anymore. He can just he can be standing there coaching the out of him. So I'm hoping we have an offseason for the younger players. Uh, Tom doesn't need it. For him, he can learn as much standing and sitting in my golf cart as he can out there throwing the ball again. So it, for me, it's just a matter of hopefully having uh, those practices. That's Bruce Arians, Tampa Bay head coach. He and the GM would be, Todd Light, uh, Jason Light, uh, would be elated if they could get a deal done with Brady to keep him with the franchise beyond his current two-year deal. One down, two to go. That should be I'd a pretty go easy. Fernando Tatis-like contract for Brady. <laughs> 14 years. <laughs> you got Brady signed through 50. He'll be 58. He'll be 58 but, uh, when he's done. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be willing to talk to him at that point, see if he wants to play into his 60s. Brady slated to make $25 million in the coming season. Kansas City Chiefs had all sorts of problems with their offensive line by the time they got to the Super Bowl while they're starting right tackle. Mitchell Schwartz underwent surgery for a back injury that knocked him out of the lineup midway through the past season. He expects to be fully healthy and available come training camp this summer. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Ah, free agency in college football. Herm got it right. The old free agent season. BYU is adding former Utah State defensive back Jacob Robinson as a transfer. Robinson played at Orem High. Former Utah defensive lineman Mufiel Hunt from Murray High also joining BYU as a transfer recently. Good luck keeping up with all this, PK. Good thing we have Yach. Okay. Good. Congratulations to those guys, I guess. Clemson senior defensive end Justin Foster, 10.5 tackles for loss in 2019, announced his retirement Wednesday saying a combination of asthma, allergies, and COVID-19 have made it impossible for him to return to the field. Done playing. And a senator from Kansas, Jerry Moran, introduced federal legislation Wednesday that allows student-athletes to sign endorsement deals in the future with some restrictions on what types of deals they could enter. The bill, if passed, would also increase the medical coverage that many of the wealthiest athletic departments have to provide for their athletes and establish rules that would allow players to transfer to new schools and enter professional drafts without losing eligibility. You've been talking about that for a while, PK. How come you have to give up your college eligibility? If you're Lou Dort and you're undrafted, you ought to have the chance to go back to school. Yeah, that makes no sense. That's the colleges having a rule that favors the professionals. Let the professionals worry about that. Do stuff that are in the best interest of your organization, format, level, whatever you want to call it. Well, that, that's that's part of the freedom that I think for some of these kids, uh, it needs to be right there with the cash. Nothing supersedes cash. Cash is the answer to so many things. Let's call it like it is. But uh, I think that they should be able to do that. Why? Why? Why have? Why do your sports have rules that benefit the pros? DJ and PK.
Hashtag Major League Baseball. I think it's pretty similar to every year we come in here for spring training. I think uh, our front office does such a great job of accumulating talent and, and putting a group in the room that uh, we think has a chance to win a World Series every single year. So this year is no different. Uh, obviously, a lot of great players um, added some very nice pieces to the roster. And uh, we're looking forward to making another deep run and uh, bring another championship to L.A. So um, I don't think it's that different from any other year. That's the Dodgers' Justin Turner asked about the pressure to repeat as World Series champs. The expectation's always there. Turns out this year they're defending it, and the previous year they may have lost it, but the expectation is always win it all, baby. Win it all. Well, yeah, when you have that type of payroll, everyone wants a return on their investment, and for the Dodgers, the return on the investment is literally doing that. Across town, the Angels Shohei Otani. Said he topped out at 97 miles per hour, pitching during live batting practice. Otani has not pitched regularly since 2018 because he had Tommy John surgery. PK, we've talked about this before. About uh, I, I'm excited at the thought of seeing somebody be you know hitting home runs one day as a DH or an outfielder or whatever, and another day pitching. But you point out, well, nobody's done this since Babe Ruth, and Babe Ruth gave it up. And he pitched, but he pitched like the first I don't know four or five years, something like that, in his career. And then all through the 20s and into the 30s, he was he was an outfielder. So is Otani really going to do this? Still clearly messing around with it since he's throwing 97 mile an hour pitches. Yeah, I was thinking about this when I saw this because I obviously I saw it yesterday too, and they continue to try to have him do both. I'm wondering maybe not as a starting pitcher, maybe as a spot reliever here and there. But then, you know, you can't just necessarily give somebody that unless you intend to really use them because that's a valuable spot on the roster. And pitching, you know, you have got guys, guys who've been in the big leagues for a number of years that aren't necessarily good, but they're healthy and they call them innings eaters because they can, you can give them the ball and they can go out there and they can do their thing. And even if they're not great, you got to have somebody out there. So I don't know if they can do that. It's a development that they seem like they keep trying to force, and it hasn't worked so far. So put on your manager hat. Do you see him as a guy who is one of the four outfielders, they're rotating him through, and that he would sit on a day when the bullpen has been beat up? You know, a couple guys have bad starts, and they've had, or they've had extra inning games or whatever, and, you know, they've had uh, the bullpen's tired. Okay, he's in the bullpen today. He's going to, he can come in and throw a couple innings and give, Give somebody else a day off, and that's how you rotate the four outfielders through. Is that well, I don't enough? Know that he's, I don't know that he's. Or he's thinking he wants to be in the rotation. I think <laughs> he wants to be in the rotation and then be in the outfield a couple of days when normally. Yeah, I, don't, be off. I don't think he's played much outfield though. I think you're assigning him a position. I think he's been mostly the designated hitter. Uh, so uh, there's questions to be answered on that. Chicago star, Chicago White Sox star first baseman Jose Abreu will be isolated for several days. He tested positive for COVID-19. Team says he's completely asymptomatic and frustrated to be away from the club. Spring training is supposed to be a good time. You don't want to be isolated during spring training. I know, really. I mean, that means no golf in the afternoon, right? I don't know if Jose Abreu golfs, golf. but uh, I'm not sure about that. 
Toronto Blue Jays phenom Vlad Guerrero Jr. told reporters he dropped 42 pounds in the offseason in an effort to be in better shape going into spring training in the early part of the season. Most major league. It was chunky, there was no doubt about it. That's a lot of weight to drop. Yeah. Most major leaguers don't have 42 pounds to drop, you wouldn't think. Or if they do, they have no intention of dropping it, so either way, it doesn't happen. All right, what is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, the Joe Ingles Show. Probably about 8.35 this morning in the 9 o'clock hour. Craig Bullerjack, TV voice of the Jazz, and Mike Weir, former Masters champ, talk about Tiger Woods. He'll join us at 9.30. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Longtime NBA video coordinator. He's Mo DeKeel with us. Your thoughts on what you've seen from this Jazz team thus far? You know, the thing that's most interesting is this is the team everybody was expecting last season. You're seeing everybody more comfortable in their roles. It's not just Mike Conley having a better understanding of the system and a better feel after his first season, but, you know, Joe Ingles going to the bench was an adjustment for him last season, and he's more comfortable in that role. Getting Derek Favors back has been huge. They're playing at a great level, and the other thing too is they've just been red hot from three and i think that's been a big thing for them catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by big old tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network hot takes or toast is brought to you by jerry signer cadillac at jerry signer cadillac you can shop your way and get a piece of luxury you deserve stop by at test drive one today question of the morning on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. How sweet is it to hammer the Lakers under any circumstance? You can hit us up with your response on Facebook, on Twitter, David DJ James. Grab your phone, use our app, use the open mic feature, send your take to Yach, and he will get it on the air. How sweet is it to hammer the Lakers under any circumstance? Hector says, he's still on LeBron playing, and it's a dang good win. Oh, it's so sweet. It's like jelly, baby. <laughs> Jason says LeBron's only won two times in Salt Lake since 2010. He had that great line after one game. I don't think my career is going to be defined by how much I won in Salt Lake. Fact. Well, it's the Lakers. It's not LeBron here. That's what Mark says. I don't care about the circumstances. Anytime the Jazz beat the Lakers, it's a great time yeah. to be a Jazz fan. I mean, they're arch enemy, as they are for just about everybody in the West. <laughs> Portland, so, Phoenix, Sacramento, yeah, all the places yeah. they receive warm welcomes. <laughs> Golden right. State. So it's the Lakers. Oh, irregardless of who they have or don't have. And you couple that with LeBron, and it's always good to beat the Lakers. Yeah? I mean, they're the benchmark. They're what every team in the West, and you can argue every team in the league, and mainly in professional sports, they are what you're trying to become. All the titles that they've won, so many, all the finals experiences, uh, appearances, on and on and on, to think that uh, you know, what they've accomplished as a franchise, if you think, well, they're in L.A., whatever, okay, fine. You can, you can put all the circumstances you want attached to it, but nevertheless, all that they've accomplished is very, very impressive. And so to beat these guys and then beat them up is even better. And then, two, as I'm looking at it, 
and reflecting upon the game, nobody did anything that makes you go, wow. No, as I reflected on the game, because there's plenty of time to reflect on the game during the game, since the drama and the competition was all, all drained out of it, I think if there was one thing to say wow about, it was that the, uh, the law of numbers that you cited yesterday, the law of averages, didn't bite the jazz. They shot the three pretty well. Still made 22 of them after making 28 the night before. Sure, percentage-wise they did. You can't argue with that. But that nobody had a phenomenal night. Bogdanovich got off to Schneid a little bit and made five. Yeah, Conley. But other than that... Conley was 4-6. Hey, Bogey was 5-8. of eight, But you're right. I mean, Mitchell was 2-7. of seven. That's Ingles was 1-3. of three. I mean, those are pretty routine. I, Clarkson yeah. was 4-10. of ten. He took 10 threes. That's a lot of threes. But, hey, make 40% of them, take a lot of threes. That's the whole point. If you're shooting 40% from three, you're in a really good spot. Yeah, so I can argue Mitchell at 4 of 16. Actually, he was the law of averages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 25% shooting night. Yeah, so, I mean, he came back down to earth. I don't remember what he was the game before, but – Nobody did anything that you just look at and say, man, that's not sustainable. That's tough to repeat. And it really, literally, no one. Conley got off to a nice start, and then Jordan picked it up a little bit. But the Jazz only had a one-point lead in the first quarter. Yep. So that one point, I mean, a great start. Conley hit some buckets early, and then Clarkson came in. He hit some buckets early, but they only led by one point. And then the 39 points in the second quarter, you know, that was obviously the second and third quarters were the two big differences in terms of extending the lead and making it a blowout. But nobody really did anything that just goes, man, that was just impressive. Donovan Mitchell, you know, if Conley, I I laugh at this, Conley, oh, he's going to make a statement that he deserved to be on the All-Star. Well, then did Mitchell deserve to make a statement that he doesn't deserve to be on the All-Star team? (laughs) Well, and and then Mitchell in the postgame said, you know, Mike had it rolling, and he wants to run something for me. You know, it's like, I guess he wasn't making a statement then if he wanted to run something for somebody else. Well, I don't think he was making a statement. I think he was just doing his thing. I think probably the only guy that was maybe a little bit better than we would expect is Favors. He's 5 for 5, so he's 12 and 7 in 17 minutes. You would take that every time if he's playing 17 minutes to have that type of game. Make up, but you know he shoots basically dunks, or if not dunks for him, he knows his shot. And the great thing about Favors now is that he really knows what he's supposed to do, and everything that he does is exactly what they want him to do. So he takes the right kinds of shots, and he's going to get the boards. He had three offensive boards, which is good in 17 minutes. So. He's giving you, I mean, last night was a classic example. Basically, he gave them close to 100% of why they brought him back. So that one, but in a blowout win of uh, uh, 25 points, what was it? I don't even remember what it was. 114.89, it was 25 points. Yeah, so that's that's a nice contribution, but obviously you probably win without it or or less than – those numbers very very good for him so that was to me that the number one and most impressive thing about that win is nobody did anything extraordinary it was very workmanlike and they still hammered him that's what was most impressive 
Well, how much of the hammering was defensive? I mean, 114 might be a little on the high side for a number, but it's not, not by much. I mean, I, I think now you expect to see an NBA team, a good NBA team, between 105 or 110. They get below that, you wonder what happened. So 114 is kind of a whole. The 89 is the number that sticks out. Quinn Snyder. Yeah, but the Lakers don't. They, they, the Lakers don't have anybody who can score. Right, but Quinn Snyder was talking in the uh, talking about the runs and the spurtability and all that stuff. He said the most important number in a 10-0 run is the zero. If you're not getting stops during that run, it's 10-6 or 10-8. You don't even notice. And so how, how well do you defend and held the Lakers in 89, but that's where the Lakers are without a couple of good offensive weapons. And so how much would that have changed everything? And so I, I think they're a very shallow team. Yeah. They've I, got two really good players. you got two or three guys who want to give a night to her. good. Yeah. I'll give them that. And then you have to hope that these journeyman-like players who have a place in the league, you have to hope that, a few of them are on. And Kuzma, you know, he's a local guy. Everybody wants to build him up and all that, but I'm not interested in that. I don't care. He's an average guy. Five points in mean, 25. He had a nice rookie season, and we thought he was going to take off, but he really hasn't. And then it was all, as you know, they got Anthony Davis. You fans are due to Kuzma will be what you fans did to Jimmer. It was the Kings. It was the Knicks. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Right. Kuzma's got a spot in the league. But he's an average guy. Sometimes he's above average, but sometimes he's not, which then leads you to be average because the guys who are above average, way more often than not, that's why they are. But you know, he was just kind of out there, really didn't do anything. Harold's a nice junkyard dog kind of guy off the bench. I'll give it to that. That's a nice signing. Uh, but the almighty plus minus thing, he was minus 15 when we – bring that up for Conley as to why he should be in the All-Star game. If you go by that, Harold's plus minus sucked. I'm not sure that's that big of a deal, but as I look at their bench, eh, who do they got that really jumps out at you thinking, you know, Morris would be coming off the bench and and he's he's somewhat streaky, but you know, I would he, on this team, he has a role for sure. So I think they've got a lot of deficiency. They just got real top-end talent. And when that top-end talent is clicking, well, then the other guys, I don't need to rely on them as much so they can do what they do, and it's not as noticeable what they don't do. But when you have two of your five starters out, then it becomes more noticeable about what they can't do. Question of the morning, how sweet is it to hammer the Lakers under any circumstance, even this one where they're missing two starters? Tony says it was the best game of the year. Other than ESPN constantly reminding us that Anthony Davis is out and so is Schroeder. Didn't yeah, want to I hear laugh it. when Mark Jackson said he, they, they got to get Schroeder back. I thought of all the guys, <laughs> I don't know that he would uh, really make much. Of, he would have. He wouldn't have made any difference really last night. I don't. I don't think in terms of winning and losing anyway. That's why I tweeted that out because I thought it was why bring up him. And just seemed like it was funny to me. Got to get I'm AD sure they back. Miss him. Yeah, uh, you miss just about anybody, win or lose. You want them back. Dan says seventeen championships to zero. Enjoy the regular season. Ah, a Laker fan. Shots fired. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Well, that's what sports is about. And that's what the Lakers can throw at you and repeatedly throw at you as many times as they possibly want. But uh, in a sense, you know, I think that not that they're going to remember it in terms of, oh, we got to get revenge. We got to exact revenge. But they're going to acknowledge that, okay, they're going to be aware of the Jazz that, hey, you know, they, they beat us up, but here's what we need to do differently, blah, 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 if it should come to pass that they may meet each other in the postseason. And in, in the NBA, the postseason is really where it's at. I mean, that it's funny because your career-wise numbers are based on regular season. Well, the NBA, since they allow so many teams in the playoffs, it is about the postseason. They ought to pump up your postseason numbers far more than they do the regular season. Now, they do the titles and the ships, but you don't hear much about numbers in the playoffs. True story. That's not where it's at. Occasionally you hear... Occasionally, here when some guy sets a playoff record or whatever, but there's no real frame of reference for what. Yeah, that you means. don't. You didn't even know the, about the build up to it, right? And you're like, okay, name the top five playoff scores, but that all gets weird because there's so many more rounds now than there used to be. So well, comparing just, yeah, across okay, but, generations is hard, but it's really yeah. impossible in this situation. But just do it on your on whatever yours is in your error. That, that's the way numbers should be compared. Like the NFL, it's ridiculous to compare passing numbers to the 60s and 70s and all that stuff. Yeah. Compare it to your error, where do you stack up? And so then you can do it that way, and I think that's, that's more relevant. Uh, but if I'm Morris right now, I say the same thing. What he said, they beat our ass, but we'll see about the playoffs. That's exactly what I would say. Because that's what matters the most. So I don't have any problem with him saying that because that's really what it's all about. This is rendered meaningless. Really, it's rendered meaningless uh, either way. It's fun in the interim, and that's exactly what you want to do. But when you get to the postseason, you know, you do it then. Well, then, then if the Jazz did it in the postseason, well, then they're really honest. And they're clearly no excuses whatsoever better than the Lakers. You can't say, well, yeah, but... And basically, Morris is saying again about the Jazz, yeah, but. Which is what the Jazz are going to face right up until July. And and that's the great thing about it. So the chip on the shoulder needs to be way more with the Jazz. Because no one's doubting the Lakers. But they're still, even at, what are they, 26-6 and six now? There's still a ton of doubt, and there's that attachment and qualifier. See about the postseason. And that's great because then you get to answer it. You know, the Utes in 08, were they the best? We'll never know. We'll never know. And here we do get to know. That's what's great about the pro level. You do get to know. There's a reason there's so much doubt around the Jazz. It doesn't really have, it has a little to do with the Jazz, but it's really the league as a whole. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. George Niang right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Last year, losing to the Nuggets was really hard on a lot of us during the offseason. Being up 3-1 and then having that, I don't want to say devastating comeback, but it wasn't good. I think a lot of us realized, you know, if we want to do this and all be together and enjoy the time that we have together, we're going to have to win. What is that going to take? And I think a lot of us have put a lot of thought and effort into the defensive end, and that's translated for us to be able to play fast and shoot a ton of threes. And I think we just all enjoy the camaraderie and being around each other. We have a really unselfish group, and I think the best part about us is we don't care who gets the accolades or who scores the most points. At the end of the day, if we're winning, we're just, you know, happy to be on a team that we all have a good time and enjoy being around each other. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Of course, we're going to make the playoffs. I would say, you know, our whole preparation is preparing for the playoffs. You know, we see the Jazz. We know they beat our ass tonight. But, you know, in the playoffs, it's a different story. DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. That was Marquis Morris right there. That was a quote we were talking about in the last segment. And PK, there is a reason players turn the page and don't get intimidated by regular season and who has the best record. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the Jazz lineup. It's just that's the way the NBA has been working for a while. You don't have to have the best record in the NBA. Last year, the team with the best record in the NBA didn't win the title. Two years ago, the team with the best regular season record didn't win the title. Three years ago, the team with the best regular season didn't win the title. A couple of the Warriors championship teams were actually the team that had the best regular season record, and then came back and won the title. Two of their three title teams did it. But two out of the last six years, it's not that big a deal. Okay, yeah, but you have to be in the top two, though. You mean a one or two seed, so top four in the league, Mm -hmm. or you mean one of the top two Mm -hmm. records in the league? No. No, because the finals home court is just about as meaningless as it could possibly be. So I'm talking about conference. So I guess I suppose that would be top four then. Uh, and it's so uneven in the scheduling. So, yeah, I was just speaking conference. I was just speaking West. In my mind, I had had that. You've got to be a really good team to win the final. To win the finals. That's the bottom line. I, I mean, I don't care what the statistics says. You've got to be a really good team. That's the bottom line. To quote my good friend Kyle Whittingham, bottom line, he loves bottom line. You know, he's, he, that's one of his go-to guys. He, he likes to get to there pretty quick. <laughs> he, he's not one for much for fluff. Stop at the long, along the way. Stop at the long explanation. I don't have yeah. a 20-minute radio segment to, to fill. Bottom line. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you know him, and we all do, he's a meat and potatoes dude, and so he wants bottom line. Get me, get me there as soon as possible, because I'm gonna get there eventually. So I just as soon get there as soon as I can. It's like golf, man. Get me to that hole as soon as I can, because <laughs> that everything else is a bunch of crap. What did I score on that hole? <laughs> and that's then I can go back and dissect it and try to improve it. But get to the bottom line. The bottom line is you got to be a really good team. Whether you finish first, second, or whatever it might be, you've got to be a really good team. And the Lakers have that ability to be a really good team, irregardless of last night. Now, Moore is saying uh, the playoffs are a different story. Not necessarily. They can be, 
and might be, and you could go probably will be, but it's not a guarantee that they are. I don't think he can speak in the present tense as far as that goes. You can't say that right now. When you got a ball club that's 26-6, and six, what ball club out of the West, and don't give me the freaking Atlanta Hawks of some years ago. I don't give a flying you-know-what. And if you tell me one more time about the Hawks, I'm going to kick you in the groin. I did it, on the, I did it on the phone last night when we were talking during the game. <laughs> I dropped. Well, that would be the Hawks of the – you're like, oh, come on. You're not even on the air. Knock it off. The West is all about quality teams at the top. And name me a team that's 26-6 and six after 31 games – and say they're not really that good. I, I don't think you could do that. And I'm not going to go back and check all the teams and what their records were uh, at 26 and six after 33 games. I'm not going to do that. But, but I just know that they're they're tough. So I can't really sign off on what Moore says. Literally, that they are a different story. If he's speaking generally, okay. But if he's speaking specifically, I can't necessarily say that. Who's to say that they will be? That's why it's going to be so exciting, this run, until we get there. And then, of course, when we get there, it's going to be awesome. Well, I mean, first off, you got to say, you know, you don't have to, but most, most players are going to say, you know, and reference the storyline that serves their purposes. So, if you're the Lakers, of course you're going to say that now. You've lost four in a row and five out of six. You're not going to sit there and say you're doomed. So, of course, he's going to say that. No, but what you could do, actually, though, is really pump up the Jazz and say, man, this is by far the best team in the league. They're going to be tough to beat. (laughs) Set set that up. (laughs) You know, I remember talking to a college coach a long time ago who said they loved the preseason polls because most coaches would run from the expectations, and then once you get a coach in the league who loves the expectations, you just like, you just, everybody votes for him, and you just push him up there and like, you, you go take that. Yeah, I think we're going to be really good this year. Yeah, why don't you set yourself up? So, yeah, set them up. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. Then behind the scenes, you're just shaking your head no. Nope. Nope. Well, yeah, if you're the Lakers, there's no reason to believe that you shouldn't have full confidence when you get to the postseason. You've got an all-timer, and you've got a really good player with an all-timer. Sometimes I think Anthony Davis gets elevated. A lot of folks know your hero, Locke, calls him top five. I don't know that he is. With LeBron, maybe he is. With LeBron, they're a formidable combo. But I think you can name five players who you'd rather have leading your team. Yeah, because he, he didn't do much with New Orleans. I think they won one playoff series. Uh, it's, you know, it's the Gasol thing there. Very good player. No one's discounting. Hall of Fame, even. I mean, I've, they put Gasol in the Hall of Fame. The Basketball Hall of Fame is not the NBA Hall of Fame. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. And obviously all the stuff that he's done with the international competition and with his uh, national team in Spain, it would be, a, to me, it would be an absolute no-brainer. But just specifically NBA, if you just had an NBA Hall of Fame, if you were to put Gasol in there, I would have zero problem with it. Never won a series as the man wins two titles as the second guy, because he's really good. 
So I want to see more of Anthony Davis. Now, with his injury issue, maybe we will. And probably we will, uh, unless LeBron continues just to prove that he is an extraterrestrial being <laughs> and at 38 dominating. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say he's not going to uh, until I see that he's not going to. Since he's some form of slowing down, haven't seen it at all. This guy's just a marvel. Love, absolutely love the way he competes out there and gives it everything he has, game after game after game. I can't respect that enough in this man, maybe down the line. But for right now, that's not the case. He can be that dude who plays off of LeBron. And the great thing about LeBron was that we've been hearing this thing with Niang, who was on with Scotty and Hans yesterday, about you know nobody cares who gets the accolades and all that. I mean, I think at this point, I think LeBron pretty much has proven that. He's not about scoring points or any of that stuff. He's about winning. So if you're open, he's got no problem getting you the ball and whatever it might be. And so Anthony Davis actually can flourish and statistically can be the leader on that team because LeBron's got no problem if you are got it, if you have it going or being in that position to score. He'll get you the ball. Well, I generally agree with your point that it, you know you need to be top two in your conference if you're going to win the title because there just aren't that many examples of teams coming from the three, four, five seeds to win. Mm-hmm. But there are outliers, and I, I got to admit, I wonder if the Lakers could be one of them. If they had injuries and said, "Yeah, we'll take the four seed or the three seed or the five seed, whatever," uh, but we're going to be healthy for the playoffs. When you start well, looking for the out- obvious admittance, when I you agree think hundred percent, yeah, yeah. When you think, okay, that's the you know, Gordon always talks about you know the column he wrote after the Jazz won Game One, and well, the team that wins Game One wins like I don't know what it was, eighty six percent of the time or whatever. Well, what creates the outlier where this other ten or fourteen percent or whatever the number was of the time happens is like, well, it's Michael Jordan, it's LeBron James, it's the all time all timers. They're the ones who beat those odds. So it's really important for the Jazz to be first or second. But it's probably not that critical for LeBron. I would agree with that. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles will be here in about 35 minutes, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join Hans and Scotty G from 10 to 2 at The Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, you better believe it. I mean, the only thing you can say is, boom! I like it. Joe Ingles coming up about uh, 8.35, so we're about half an hour away from Joe's visit, and Brian's already tweeting at us. Ask him why he jing- didn't jingle last night. He kept passing up good shots. Do we want to ask him that for the 400th time, PK? Yeah, I, <laughs> they won big. You know, Joe is, is – yeah, Joe has self-awareness of, uh, as far as what the game is going, how it's going. The, the What am I looking for? The content of the game, I guess. And so he knows that you know, we don't really need this or that. I just got to keep the ball moving in this situation. And I think what I, would, what I did want to ask him, though, is a couple of things. My two questions off the top of my head, and depending on – and you never know where the conversation is going to go with Joe. That's uh, uh, last week being the, one of the best examples, if not the best example, where we're talking about baseball. And uh, he's talking about what do you call running around, we had running no around idea. the triangle. Yeah. We had no so, idea the sandbox. Yeah, right. But and I always think when we have guests, you know, I just don't. Oh, we got a guest. Well, what should I ask him? You know, I, you try to think of stuff that's pertinent 
and play off of you because you're going to ask him stuff and try to have some type of rhythm going on here. But my thought as far as uh, Joe, number one, you're 26-6. and six. We all thought you were going to be good. But in your heart, Joe, did you really think you guys would be this good? Because right now you are this good. There's no question you are this good. And so with that in mind, I want to see what his answer is. And then I was wondering, as this game went on, it was clear Joe Ingles was not needed. And so was there a concerted effort and a a conscious decision, I guess, made to where Quinn knows Joe is, I think, what, 33 years old? Why extend him and play him minutes that don't really matter in this situation? We got this thing. So I'm wondering, I think he only played 22, if I remember correctly. Uh, Was that something that Quinn Snyder is thinking about? Hey, let's give him a sort of a night off, basically. I mean, certainly they weren't taxing minutes and they weren't big minutes. They were below the minutes that he's getting on average. And I'm just wondering, was that a literal decision that they made because of the way the game was going? I don't need him. Let's uh, let's have him sit down and and take a load off his legs and all that stuff uh, and and save him a little bit. Joe's coming up eight thirty five. We've got a uh, question of the day out in front of you right now. Uh, how sweet is it to hammer the Lakers under any circumstance? And obviously, the circumstance involves they were missing two starters, including Anthony Davis, their second best player. Jazz fans against racism at anti-racist jazz says it's sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey. So sweet I feel like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> All right. That is it's not like the maple oh. syrup on your pancakes. <laughs> uh we got we got other people. Um so sweet I'm about to go into a diabetic coma. Don't do that. But that's pretty sweet. No. Yes. It's sweet, as sweet as one of those Hallmark cards. Oh, just sappy. Yeah, my mother-in-law used to do that. There was nobody who loved their daughter more than my mother-in-law loved my wife. I got to say, she was the definition of love. I've got to give it to that lady. She's gone now. But that was, I always admired the way she loved her daughter. There's like no way I could love anybody like the way she loved her daughter. And so uh, on all occasions, she would never get a funny little goofy card. Uh, She would get these serious, uh, my life would be a failure without uh. your presence. You make everything the best just by your eyes when they look at me. You know, one of those cards. I do. I do. I and can't. So I'd always read I don't. Them. I can't get those. I told my <laughs> wife early on. I, I I can't do that. I just can't. Oh, you I just got, laid down the law with honey. I, I just, I just, I, I like no, it. I wasn't laying down the law. It was this more is the like way it's going to be, honey. Foot down. I like it, okay, it. Okay, it was, it was that. And so if you more... want it, I just want you to know you're going to be dissatisfied because <laughs> yeah, I'm right. not going to do it. It was. More... I'm a man. I love you, sweetheart, but I'm not doing that. I was basically trying like to a sense. lower the bar and b beg for forgiveness in advance. <laughs> That was no, those are the two I things think I what you were doing. I'm you gotten, were setting some boundaries for her. I've gotten, well, I, I guess so, sure. But 
Yeah, and I bet you she liked it. No, I think every woman likes to know where she stands with her man. I would say she appreciated the honesty, but was disappointed in me as a human being. (laughs) Well, no, no. In fact, I would venture Uh, to say when you told her that, let's just say she actually, she appreciated the boundary, and I think I can take it a step further and say that was a very good night in the James household. (laughs) The Sniggledorfs were Sniggledorfing. Uh, you paddled on into that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with you, man. Knowing that women like to know their boundaries and where they can go and where they can't go. That was great. Yeah, you, said we, by you, you said we had to go to a break early. Do we have to go to a break this early? No. Why do we go to break? <laughs> to reset this discussion, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> this You're... discussion is going exactly where it should go. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> People like boundaries. They like to know. Yak is pulling the ripcord for me. <laughs> we needed to go what? at 15. All, you can go I, a minute is, early. I'm paying you the highest compliment. Uh-huh. You set the like. standard <laughs> in the Sniggledorf household. Yuck. And the great thing about it? is your son saw that. So what you did is you set the standard for Sniggledorf generations from the male perspective to come and going. It's like a teacher. Their influence, his or her influence, you can't judge it because it could go on and on and on. It's like mirrors looking at each other. You know what I mean? It's eternal. Nice principle you taught. Good job by you. That was before we had kids, by the way, so they weren't there to, they weren't there to see it. No, but you, it wasn't a one-off, as you like to say. It's <laughs> it something you did. My daughter, you set the standard. My daughter's a teenager, and as a teenager for years now, she's been looking at every gift, and then I get the side-eye look of approval or that kind of look of disappointment, like, well, that's kind of you. You, you could do better And she's that. about to go out in the real world here very, very soon. Yeah. yeah. And she knows exactly what to expect because of the standard <laughs> that you set. She's seen the high bar set by her mother and the low bar set by her father. No, no. <laughs> She's seen it and all. And she will know. She'll know. She'll demand to be treated the way she should be treated. This is great news. Oh, I've seen it all. All right, DJ PK, Joe Ingles coming up in 20 minutes. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. George Niang right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Last year, losing to the Nuggets was really hard on a lot of us during the offseason. Being up 3-1 and then having that, I don't want to say devastating comeback, but it wasn't good. I think a lot of us realized, you know, if we want to do this and all be together and enjoy the time that we have together, we're going to have to win. What is that going to take? And I think a lot of us have put a lot of thought and effort into the defensive end, and that's translated for us to be able to play fast and shoot a ton of threes and I think we just all enjoy the camaraderie and being around each other we have a really unselfish group and I think the best part about us is we don't care who gets the accolades or who scores the most points at the end of the day if we're winning we're just you know happy to be on a team that we all have a good time and enjoy being around each other Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network Main thing is those guys are they're fully healthy. Um, I think Mike Conley is back to himself, fully healthy, moving. You can see the way he's moving um, out there on the floor, and uh, and it's trickled down to everybody else. You know, so you know they're playing some really good ball. It's a really good team. Deep.
DJ and PK brought to you part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. There's LeBron James after the Jazz blow out the Lakers. If you didn't see it, the Jazz blew it open in the second quarter. That's pretty early to think an NBA game is over, but you could see how it was trending, and by the end of the third quarter, it was definitely over as the Jazz attacked 10 more points under their lead. Yeah, they started the blowout in the second quarter, and then they put it away in the third. Yeah. I really appreciate what LeBron said there because it's obvious he has an awareness of what's going on. Mike Conley is back to himself. So that means he knew last year, well, he knew years ago who Mike Conley was. Then he knew last year there was an adjustment period that didn't go as smoothly as we anticipated. And so LeBron, over there in Los Angeles, in the middle of his NBA schedule, he still has the awareness to know what's going on because he called it with obviously having some knowledge. And if you listen, that's what I took from that statement, that Conley's back and he's added to everybody else and really put in a, a, a piece. And I do think what LeBron is saying there is important because now everybody knows I, I don't have to pick up for anybody. I just basically have to do my part. It's okay, When Conley was out those six games, Joe thinking, all right, I need to do this and this, and maybe Donovan, too. We need to compensate a little bit here for the loss. Well, he's back, and they are completely healthy. No one's missing any games, knock on wood, that it continues. So, really, the great thing about this team right now is you just do what we need you to do. You don't really need to do anything beyond. You don't have to compensate for the loss of this or that. And we saw that statistically, as I was speaking earlier in the last hour. Nobody had a game where you think, man, that was really sensational. They had some moments within the game, of course, but in its entirety, nobody played really to where you don't think, well, heck, they could do that just about nine times out of ten. Nobody scored 20 points in that game. So those moments you're talking yeah. about, Donovan, uh, that three-pointer he hit while we were actually yeah, on the phone nice. talking, and you're, you were just a little ahead of me. You're like, oh, Donovan's about to hit a three. <laughs> And <laughs> looking like, yeah, that that was good. Uh, but his overall numbers were were actually poor. Four sixteen. That's a bad night shooting the ball, um, which is great. You know, he I'd did talk recently. It's it's that funny. Maybe we should turn it on. Yeah, maybe we should uh, ask Joe about this. But Donovan said something recently where he said, "Him hey, and a dunk less save my legs, save my body." And since I read the quote, and I gotta say I didn't see him say it, so I don't know exactly when he said it. You know, I might have read it a week after he said it or whatever. But since I read it, he's had a dunk in every game, <laughs> including a massive dunk going down the middle in last night's game. Well, he had to. He wasn't shooting the ball well. He knew it was on national television. These guys know, and it's yeah. against the Lakers. Uh, so show what you got a little bit, sure. Yeah, so, I so no problem with that. I made sure I watched uh, after Quinn's pregame, then Frank Vogel did his uh, last night. I made sure I watched that. I want to see what he said about the Jazz. And basically, I mean, it's different, but basically he said very similar to what LeBron said. It was a little different spin in that he said, well, I'm not surprised by who they are now because this is who I thought they were going to be last year. He says, obviously it didn't work out. Conley didn't settle in right away. He got hurt. They didn't have Bogdanovich in the bubble. So it never quite came together. Now it's coming together, but no, it's not surprising because when I saw who they acquired last year, I thought this was going to happen. I would disagree. 
you didn't think they were going to be this good. 26 and 6? Right. No. I agree. I did not think they'd be this good. No. I, I agree. I, I didn't said all along. I thought if things came together, they had a shot for the two seed. We all remember, Rob, you probably said the same thing. I know I said it. I thought that they had a shot for the two seed if things came. And I thought that was maybe a little bit bold. Not much, but a little I bit. I thought it was a little bold because but, I do remember the conversation. I said, well, three, because I don't think it matters that much between two and three. But I didn't know if they could catch the Lakers and Clippers. And it started, we were still, we were talking football because the Utes had finally kicked off and BYU had, you know, piled up a bunch of wins at that point. So they were a big story. But we were talking about it in a segment and I, I went off by gawking over how much shooting they have. I mean, they really have an unreal amount of shooters. And they're like, well, then the two seed. And I'm like, yeah, they could catch the Lakers or Clippers, but they could be really good and still not catch the Lakers and Clippers. You know, there are times that three teams run away and hide, and it almost looked like that this year, and now the Suns will see if they go with the other three or not. Uh, it's a little horse racing for you, PK, going back to your days, tagging along after your, your parents and your uncles or whoever. Um, you know, so horses start to break away from the pack, you know, who goes and who doesn't. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Suns go. But, yeah, they are 26-6. and six. I don't think you ever predict 26-6. and six. I mean, who predicts teams are going to go out and win 80% of their games? That's, that's a predicting that a team's going to have a 65-win season in a, in a full 82-game season. Well, I don't think you predict it unless you've actually seen it. Right, after the, after the Warriors had done it and added Durant, you could predict it? <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. and they did. They went out and won 67, I think, after that 73-win season they added Durant. Right, right. That's, that's when you make that those predictions. That would be the one time you When you it. see it. Yeah. And we didn't see it, but we are seeing it now. This is just incredible. And it's really, it's beyond a fluke. And then the, the, oh, go ahead. You don't fluke yourself into that record. No, you don't. Uh, The other thing Frank Vogel said, and it was such a you thing, and I knew you weren't on Frank Vogel's call because you would have texted me while the words were coming out of his mouth. He would have been your your hero. Is Frank Vogel from Jersey? I don't know where he's from. Yes, he is. Is he really? (laughs) That's so perfect. He got asked, well, the second half of the schedule is out, and you've got eight back-to-backs. What do you think? And he said, "Uh, I looked at it, but I didn't look at it a long time. I really only checked the schedule to make sure we're playing all 82 or this year all 72 games. Other than that, uh, uh." (laughs) I was like, oh, PK approves of this message. Jersey guys, he didn't want to talk schedule. Like when he got asked about the Jazz, he gave this long, detailed answer. I mean, it went on and on. Nobody could have complained about it, right? He got the schedule thing, and he just poured cold water on that thing and shut it right down. (laughs) Eight Uh, mm, mm. (laughs) back-to-backs. Yeah, he was born in – he grew up in Wildwood, which is down uh, down the coast. It's south – and it's right on the right on the water there, uh, so yeah, I had, I had known that that that's uh, that's where he was from because he's been around. I think this is his third job, right? Indiana and or- Orlando, and now the Lakers. So yeah, he's got some Jersey blood in him for sure. Uh, but he's right, yeah. I mean, we do what? No point in sweating, especially with those guys. You get to get a million things coming at you. Why devote energy to stuff that doesn't really matter uh, in, in that? What's the point? You know, you'll yeah. you'll take them as they come because you know they're coming. So I agree with him on that. Uh, and now, if you're like 
thinking about worrying about stuff, you know, just basically how long can the Jazz keep playing at such a high level? How long can they have their health? Because this is almost like it's too good to be true. So now it's, start, it's now time to start worrying about things that haven't happened. <laughs> You're gonna things are going so well. You know? we What's a- around the corner? There's got to be something, isn't there? We used to have a boss, and he told me this awesome story once about it was some family gathering. I can't remember who it was, if it was his brother-in-law or his, I don't know who. It was some relative. Big gathering, right? 20, 30 people, whatever. And someone starts obsessing about something uh, that was about to happen or was coming up or something. And, and he said the grandmother just shut it down. The grandmother is just like, there you go. Borrowing trouble from the future. There's nothing going wrong in the present, so you have to go out into the future and find something that might be wrong. Knock yeah, it off. I know. <laughs> Borrowing trouble from the future. I had never heard that before. And apparently it is an expression and lots of people heard it, but I had not heard it before. So if you haven't heard it, feel free to use it. It's a good one. Borrowing trouble from the future. I think the thing we've learned that we know about the Jazz is they are much better than the middle of the league. They have hammered the middle of the league over and over. Now, the Lakers are the top of the league when they're healthy. But the Lakers have missed AD for 10 games, and they have a 5-5 five and five record. Without AD, they are very much the middle of the league. And we've now seen the Jazz do this to the middle of the league over and over. To see them beat someone in the middle of the league by 15, 20, or 25 is not news anymore. The question will be in the playoffs, when a team has to focus in on what they're doing, and the Jazz have a chance to you know, alter what they're doing and, you know, we all know about the adjustments we hear about during the playoffs. How are they going to handle that? And how are they going to handle the pressure? And how are they going to handle the highest quality competition night after night? But you can't really get that in a regular season. You're always going to bump into different opponents in the middle of the league. And what we know for sure right now is the Jazz can crush the middle of the league. And the Lakers are 5-5 five and five without AD. So for one night, or 10 nights of this season, they've been in the middle of the league. If they get them for the playoffs, then Markeith Morris is probably right. It can be a very different deal then. All right, Joe Ingles is coming up next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Longtime NBA video coordinator. He's Mo DeKeel with us. Your thoughts on what you've seen from this Jazz team thus far? You know, the thing that's most interesting is this is the team everybody was expecting last season. You're seeing everybody more comfortable in their roles. It's not just Mike Conley having a better understanding of the system and a better feel after his first season, but, you know, Joe Ingles going to the bench was an adjustment for him last season, and he's more comfortable in that role. Getting Derek Favors back has been huge. They're playing at a great level, and the other thing too is they've just been red hot from three and i think that's been a big thing for them catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by big o tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network dj pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone coming up here last hour and a half of the show craig bowlerjack tv voice of the jazz in the nine o'clock hour mike weir on the Champions Tour now, former Masters champ, he's going to join us at 9.30. Uh, his reaction to Tiger Woods and everything we've heard out of the world of golf since uh, Tiger's wreck a couple days ago. We will talk with Mike Weir coming up at 9.30. And the Joe Ingles Show. Joe Ingles at uh, momentarily. Any minute now. Whenever Yach picks up the phone, whenever the kids get dropped off. Got a lot of reactions still coming into the question of the morning. How sweet is it to hammer the Lakers under any circumstance? Obviously, they were missing two starters, and they were missing their second-best player. And Jeff says it's very sweet. 
I loved watching the Jazz beat down LeBron and the Lakers, despite who they're missing. Corp Tree says, uh, I'm so, it's so sweet, I'm ready to buy a chocolate factory. Okay. All right, Willie. <laughs> That's right. Crabtree, Corbin, and the chocolate factory. Jim says, the Jazz have got to get to the West Finals. Minimum. Hard to argue with that. Minimum. Minimum. Is it, is it hard to argue with that, though? Suppose you get the Lakers in the second round and they're fully healthy. And it'll be really disappointing to lose to them. <laughs> it'll okay, it'll be they... a massive disappointment. That's not, that's not the point. You're setting a standard, so by saying they have to get to the Western Conference Finals minimum, that means anything else you underachieved. I guess you can build the scenario where the Lakers are shorthanded for a big chunk of the regular season, end up in a 4-5 series, get healthy for the playoffs, tear through it in, uh, I don't know, 18 games and go 16-2 and and win the title. And if you happen to be the team that runs in and doing the second round, I guess that looks different than the average second round loss. It's still a bitter disappointment, but I guess under your scenario, yeah, that would look different than the average second round loss. Every playoff loss is a disappointment. Yeah, some are more bitter than others, though. I mean, the Jazz have lost in the playoffs. That's in the eye of the beholder of the bitterness. Yeah, but uh, yes, but I think you can still get a lot of people coming together over one of the worst Jazz playoff losses. Jordan in the finals, absolutely. Uh, losing Game 5 to the Rockets at home, and the Rockets going to win the title. Each one of them sucked. Yeah, but some of those are worse than others. Which sucked more, whatever. The season's over, and you have your extra interviews, and you go on. The result is the same. So that's up to the individual, and... As many individuals as you have, then whatever. What I don't, I don't see where that matters. But I also wouldn't rule out that the Clippers get hot, and the Jazz maybe come back to earth a little bit, and the Clippers get the number one seed, and the Lakers and Jazz are two and three. That's not beyond the realm either. Could happen. I mean, I don't yeah. think the number one seed is sewed up to where it's a guarantee. A lot. Way too many games to go. Yeah. And I don't know where it will happen in the West, but somebody in the West is going to have a major injury between now and then. Well, it's already happened. Right. Agreed. But I'm, I'm saying there will be another major injury between now and the end of the season. And you're right. Obviously, AD's missed 10 games this year, and that's impacting the Lakers big time. But there'll be another one. There's too many games to go for you know everybody on eight teams to stay healthy, all the key players. So there's several scenarios there. Well, I have to say, there's, there's so many scenarios that it's pointless to worry about scenarios and start juggling playoff uh, positioning. and It's too early. So that's it's, why you go with the Quinn Snyder mantra, play your best basketball when the playoffs arrive. And so every game until then is a chance to analyze, hey, we did this well, keep doing this. We did this poorly. How do we fix it? They threw this curveball at us. Okay, how do we fix this problem? I mean, that's a junior high mantra if you have any playoffs. I mean, everyone wants to be playing their best ball in their playoffs, whatever sport you're in. I don't know that it's Quinn Snyder mantra. That's everybody would agree. He's said it multiple times this year because he keeps getting everybody asked about says the start. it. You want to be playing your best ball when it matters the most. That's an absolute no-brainer. Of course, that's exactly what you want to do, and then they'll readjust their mindsets, and everybody will when you get there at that point. So. I'm not worried right now what the finished product is and start making proclamations. They've got to do this or that and then start thinking, well, if they don't do this, this is this. I'll, I'll feel 
on a scale of one to ten, I'll feel a seven on my disappointment meter. I mean, that's that's so far down the road. It's just pointless to even be worried about any of that stuff. So just I'm going to revel in the twenty-six and six and see how far and how long they can string out this phenomenal level of winning. Right, they're right now they're on a two-game win streak. Well, I'm having all sorts of fun when they have a losing streak, or not a losing streak, when they lose a game to see how far the next winning streak can go. <laughs> you know, it's gone two right now. How far? And I, The way it's going, I'm thinking we're going to have another decent winning streak here. I mean, they could turn around and lose the next game. Miami can be a really good opponent, and really just about any NBA team can on any given night in this league. There's enough talent on all these teams to where uh, you can get it going. And someone's going to miss a game for the Jazz. I mean, I just don't see where their top nine guys are going to play the next uh, 40-some games, whatever they have left. Is it 42 games or whatever they got going between now and the end of the season so somebody may have a hopefully just a minor injury or maybe just an upset stomach or something intestinal whatever we don't hear about that seems like nobody gets the flu anymore but uh, maybe that can happen so there's plenty of things to to have happen Uh, but I'm not worried about what the final analysis because that'll take care of itself you know the end of the season is coming right and so when you get there then you'll see where you're at but I I, st- I believe it's reasonable to expect a Western Con- Conference Finals run. Sure, hope it happens. And ex- I believe it's reasonable. It's well within the realm. And I'm not completely there yet, but I'm growing closer to saying that it's well within the realm to expect an NBA Finals. But I'm not there yet. I can't, I can't say I'm at that level. Okay, is that because of what you've seen on the court or because you don't want me to talk about the Nets? Because if you say the finals are possible, then I get to talk about the Nets. But I don't know that the Nets are going to be there. And I'm going to talk about Philadelphia because I spent a lot of time in the suburbs of Philly. (laughs) So, I mean, I can say that too. Uh, To me, uh, I I just have to see some more. uh, Because I I didn't have this team as an NBA Finals team. So my mindset isn't of a Finals team. Now, it's certainly a lot more on my mind today than it was uh, October, November. That's for sure. I don't think anybody could argue that. It's become it's becoming more and more realistic. I I wouldn't say with each game because you know there's some games you should really win, and there's some games that I expect them to win even if I don't have them as a finals team, you know what I mean? They're still good enough that they should win the majority of their games. Uh, well, I think we all had them doing that. We all had them well above 500 going into the season. We just didn't have so, them 20 games over 500 before the All-Star break, which is no, where they're oh, sitting no, right no, now. No, not at all, no. So I can't say the cliche, well, I'm growing closer to changing my mindset – with each passing game. I can't say that. I'm taking in more chunks, you know, maybe a week or so at a time where I can come to my mindset and say, wow, man, look at that. Like, you know, they lose to Denver. And then, all right, brings them back down to earth a little bit. But then when they do, they go win nine games in a row. Is that what it was? 
Yeah, they won 11, lost one to Denver. Then they won nine in a row, and then they got beat by the Clippers. So I would have never predicted after that Denver loss that they would have won nine in a row. No, I wouldn't have either. And that's just a few weeks ago. That's not that long ago. But you still didn't expect nine in a row. I didn't. No, you're absolutely right. I did not. So now uh, I'm starting to think, okay, let's see what they put together again. I mean, what what are we going to get here? Are we going to get 28 out of 30? Where are we going with know. this thing? Man? I don't know. You know, they, after that Nuggets loss, they went and they had the four games on the road, and they played the back-to-back, which they handled pretty well, but it took a lot out of them. And they had, remember they had that Sunday morning game? Mm, Sunday and, morning, 11 o'clock. Yeah, yeah with Bowl the Pacers, Sunday. and they really had to grind their way through the game. And it was earlier in the day, and does a few hours of recovery matter that much and all that? Well, they're going to start this road trip with back-to-back. How much huh? is that going to take out of them, and how are they going to handle that when they get to New Orleans and Philly? So if you're just going to, you know, and it's easy because then you hit the break, and so then there's nothing for a week. So if you're just going to look at these four games here before the break, are they going to go 4-0? and Are they going to go 3-1? and Are they going to drop one of those first two games? Like you said, you know, Miami can have a night. I don't – we've got to check. I haven't been paying attention. They've gotten some guys back, but other guys who aren't back. I mean, Butler was out, but he's been back for a while now. But Dragic has been out. I haven't looked at all at his timeline. Maybe you know what it is. Um but if they drop one of those games and they're gassed, you know, could they lose to a Philly? Obviously in Philly. Could this be a two-and-two two trick? Of course they could. Right. So anything's in play. Or are they going to, like you say, go out there and win four more and go into the break on 26 out of 28? Where is this I, thing going? I think that they can really power through this mentally because they know they've got a break coming. So, you know, jump on it. And I don't know what the pandemic and all of guys are going to hit Mexico or, you know, exactly what's going to happen here. <laughs> George Niang had a great answer. He said, I do have plans. And he says, I don't know what the protocols are, so maybe I shouldn't blurt everything out on the radio. I, I'm going to be in Utah getting tested regularly during the break. It's pretty funny. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is time to welcome in the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Ingalls. And the Joe Ingalls Show with DJ and PK is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union. As the longest-serving credit union in Utah, Cypress Credit Union is here to help you with all your financial needs. Cypress Credit Union, your future is our future. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (laughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in our baseball correspondent, Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. I'm sure they are. Sandy Triangle uh, <laughs> pitch is uh, ready to go. Oh, my gosh. Joe, I heard so much about that everywhere I went. I asked one guy, did you hear that? He goes, how did I not hear that? Every show on your station replayed that. That was hilarious. <laughs> That's all I got all week long. That you realize they replayed it because of me, not because of you guys. Uh, yeah, I think we're pretty aware of that, Joe. <laughs> Which is uh, back to the point of this is my show, and you guys are just uh, a little part of it. Joe, 
I, you got to give us enough credit here for us to be smart enough. Not very smart. I mean, we're in the media. We're not very smart. Smart enough to get me to come on the show. Right? And we know you're more popular than us. We got that part figured out. Yeah, I remember when Joe begged me to come on seven years ago. (laughs) (laughs) No, Gordon actually denied it or someone. Gordon or someone didn't want to do it. And they were like, oh, Joe, can you just do it? And I was like, all right. And here we are. (laughs) Seven years later. What a waste of seven years. <laughs> <laughs> seven years, three kids, one of whom is American. He's my favorite kid of yours. He is. He got his Australian citizenship and passport. So he is. we cut up his American passport as soon as we got it. <laughs> Still an American, Joe. He can run for president of the United States, and you can't. That would be actually, I would, I would actually really enjoy that if he did that. That would be the one thing I'd let him do in America. <laughs> President Ingalls. I mean, yeah. you've got a good chance, right? Anyone can put their hand up and have a crack. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you got to be 35 and be a U.S. Uh, native son or, or woman. And he is. Jacob Ing- Jack yeah. Ingalls. President number 74. <laughs> you're, va- you're vacationing in the Lincoln bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, this will shock you, but we have a lot of people who've wanted to uh, talk and tweet and hit us up on Facebook and talk about the, uh, the Laker game. And I'm just curious because, you know, fans look at a game one way, media looks at another, the players and coaches look at it a different way. You probably go into film sessions with Quinn and find out, hey, I don't look at it the same way as Quinn does. But just, uh, it's the Lakers, it's LeBron. We know they were shorthanded. Just what's your takeaway from the win? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Rudy or Donovan said it before the game. I mean, any team that has LeBron on it, regardless of who's around him, has a, has a good chance to win um, at some point or, or any point of the year. So, um, well, we obviously we realized um, and were quite aware that they didn't have their full team, but um, I feel like a part of this year is, is going to be that. What's going to happen to us at times is going to happen to other teams. There's going to be guys in and out. Um, that's out of our control. Uh, obviously, what we can control is, is the way we want to play and the way we want to um, kind of go out there on, on each end of the floor, regardless of who we're playing um, and, and who's in and who's out. And that's the same for, for us as well. If um, I was out for those few games. I feel like we we played the same way. We lost Donovan, and we we still played the same way. So, um, yeah, we we realised that. Uh, obviously, they went a bit deeper into their probably bench than than they would normally um, if if all healthy. And I mean, you can't kind of deny the fact that they were were short and all star and uh, whatever he's all first team. I'm sure at some point or whatever he's done in his career, but. Um, so yeah, we we obviously play who's in front of us, and and I think, like I said, like with LeBron out there, regardless of who's around him, he he can make everybody look really really good, um, and I think we did a good job of, of making it tough on him. And um, if he gets going and and getting guys involved and they're feeling good, like I said, they can they can still play with anyone. So um, we didn't come home and pop champagne and act like we. It was a, it was another game. We, we got a win. Um, like, like you said, we'll we'll look at film and um, kind of go through things we can do better and, and things that worked well and um, and get ready for Miami now. So you only played twenty two minutes, and obviously, given the con- context of the game, there was no reason for you to play big minutes. Is that a conscious decision by the coaches? Maybe since we don't need to extend you 
with a lot of minutes to maybe not have you play as much? Uh, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I think, I mean, I'm not getting any younger. Um, and I think this is probably the first year of my career that I've, you, well, I won't even know how to say it, but like being a bit smarter with the, the rest and the, the playing and obviously missing those games. And um, I've, I've always kind of, a part of the resting and missing games and, and stuff like that, I've always, uh, like I've said, and you guys know, I've, if, if I'm healthy, I'm going to play. And um, There's definitely been games that I, I've probably been more tired and, and maybe that's a game that I could have set out. And The flip side of that is I, I think in my head, if I miss a game, it's going to kill my rhythm for the next game and stuff like that. So, um been kind of being forced, I guess, to miss those three or four games earlier in the year. I think it just gave me a bit more of a, a brighter outlook that if I do need a, to play less minutes or, or sit a game or whatever the situation is, um, it's not the end of the world. Um, again, I'm not just going to sit for, for the sake of sitting just because, but if there's a, a, a plan in place, and, and like last night, like I, I mean, I wasn't not like I was running out there hot either, so Quinn wasn't desperate to put me back in anyway. But um, we've got guys that step up, guys that play well on different nights. Sometimes it's all of us, sometimes it's a few of us. Um, I don't think I personally was playing that well anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's a, kind of write it off. Um, for me, I'll look at a few things and get back in the gym and, and obviously get ready, like I said, get ready for Miami now. But, um, yeah, it doesn't. I'm not begging to get back in there and, and try and keep my minutes up or get my points average or whatever I'm, I'm whatever the, the idea of other people on the outside thinks. Uh, we won and we got a good win and we were able to get a bit of rest at the end. Quinn has told us in, in multiple interview sessions that it's not necessarily the decision a guy makes with the ball. It's the fact that he knows the decision he's going to make as the ball is coming to him. So he can make it quickly, and the defense doesn't get to reset a matchup if you have him in a scramble. And yeah. I watched one of the national analysts last night just really just raving, just lavishing praise on you guys and the way the ball moved. And that was exactly what uh, – and it was a former NBA player. It was Tim Legler on ESPN. And, and yeah. he was talking about – you know, they had possessions that for another team might be their best possession of the night, but they were doing it multiple times down the court. Did you feel like, you said you didn't feel like you played that well, but actually I thought that was one of the takeaways from the game, that there were a lot of possessions that where the ball was moving the right way. Is that true or not? Yeah, I mean, I was more referring to myself, to be honest. Um, but I think we... I mean the way we we play and and stuff like that. We it is tough. It's 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 harder than just kind of walking up and playing ISO and getting an open shot when when you want to get it. And, and we're going to have a lot of possessions. I feel like that the ball moves and goes from side to side. And and there's going to be times we've talked about it. There's going to be times too that we do walk the ball up and run pick and roll with Donovan and Rudy if if that's what's working for us. So um, I mean I, I feel like. We we moved the ball well last night. I think I think um, it took us a while. Um, we 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 end up making I think twenty threes or something like that anyway. But um, I don't think it was. We weren't getting them as kind of free flowing as probably what we normally do. Um, but I think we like in saying that sounds silly because we still shot forty or something and made twenty or whatever it was. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's 
it's different with every team. I think we're we're as a team as well seeing so many different defenses and hard probably a little bit harder to I guess predict how teams are gonna play us because they teams we've we've like I said, we've played we've got gotten played differently so many times this year, so um we kind of figure it out, try and figure it out as early as we can in the game and, and figure out how they're playing us and then obviously try and attack it. And um, I think that was a big thing from the Charlotte game the other night. Um, figuring out how they're playing us and it took us kind of three quarters and then we made shots and got out and ran and, and we were able to obviously get a good win. Speaking of that Charlotte game, I mean, since you are a baseball expert now, there's a phrase in baseball that hitting is contagious. A couple guys get hits, and then it loosens things up. And the next thing you know, you got four or five hits. Uh, they're called runs, Joe. I don't know if you knew that. Five or six <laughs> runs in an inning is, is a pretty good inning for any baseball team. Uh, okay, it's, they're not points. They're runs. I'm wondering, do you believe that shooting is contagious? And if you guys make a couple shots, and next thing you know, you look at that Charlotte game, and it was absolutely unbelievable. So the premise being shooting is contagious. Is that something you buy into? Um, yes, and kind of yes and no. I, I think um, with our team, and it's something we talked about in preseason and, and something that we talked about last year off season of like when we had quite had got Mike and then we traded for JC and we had a team of um, shooters. We could, we had four guys on the court at all times that could make shots. We used to kind of laugh about like, imagine if we were all hot one night, like imagine if we were all going and we were, and we just never kind of got that last year. We were, we either didn't have our full lineup with, with injuries and stuff, or if we did, I was playing terrible off the bench at the start of the year. Um, then obviously I ended up starting and then Boyan was out and we traded for JC and then Mike had to leave for his baby and there was just a lot a lot going on. So we never really got to, I guess, see what we always kind of envisioned um, having the team that we had. Um, and we kind of talked, it was kind of a, a thing this year too of like, obviously myself knew, like knowing I was going to come off the bench, everyone was healthy having our roles, getting fave back and just kind of having that group, knowing when we're going in and out, knowing the offense and, and all that a bit more. Um, so if we're all going, it's it's pretty dangerous. And there, there's going to be nights that we are all going and we make X amount of threes and there's going to be nights and it might be two or three of us. Um, but it's, I, I think for us, a lot of it comes from the defensive end. If we can get stops and get out and run, we have two bigs that can run and we obviously have four guards out there at all times that can run and space the floor and uh, I think some of the contagious stuff's come from getting a stop and getting out and running and if we're all running together um, and spacing the floor the right way when we're running it's a lot easier to to make those shots and shoot those shots because we're getting really good looks so um, then you see I mean like you I mean you see the ball go in I get more hyped off JC pulling up in transition than I do off my own shot. So when you see other guys being successful and playing well, I think it just gets the the joy of our group. And um, that's the part I think that you do get a bit of that contagious because like JC is making shots and Fave and Rudy are setting great screens and then Mike's coming off and hitting threes and we're so unselfish that he might make two or three, but he'll still make an extra pass at the right time. And, that I have to shoot and, and I make it and they're more happy for me than they are for themselves. So um, it, it's a fun way to play and uh, I think it's dangerous if, if we're all kind of rolling the way we've been rolling. 
You talk about all the defenses you've seen, and if there's one that I think frightens Jazz fans or that they, uh, you know, the defense they respect the most or attacks you and is the hardest to handle, it's the one where the other team commits four guys to stopping three-pointers. They, they're going to match up with anybody who's on the three-point line no matter what, and if they give up a two, they give up a two. And Donovan was talking about that that has given you guys some problems, but you've worked on some stuff to handle it. How much confidence you have when the team plays a defense like that? Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I think early on in the year they were playing. I mean, for, for years we've played pick and roll to get downhill and throw lobs to Rudy and then probably hit the corner if the, the guy helps in. And um, <clears throat> we, I mean, it's just a bit different this year, I think. Part of it, a big part of it, is they're playing Rudy and Faye for the role a lot of the time, um, which especially early on we were we were getting even more threes because they were. I mean, Rudy's obviously and Faye, but Rudy at the start of the game is so dangerous on the rim. I um, mean, in pick and roll and stuff. So we've been played that way a lot, and I think as the season's gone on, teams are trying to figure out what what hurts us or what slows us down. And um, I mean, I think for us. Yeah, I mean, I don't. You can't stop everything, and I mean, we know that we go into a game. Hey, we want to do this with LeBron, but we realise he's obviously going to have the ball a lot. There's going to be things that he is really good at, and obviously being the player. And um, so you just try and make it as tough as you can. I think, yeah, I think there's been a couple of games we've struggled where they've played kind of two on two in the pick and roll, and then just just stayed with shooters, and we're so kind of locked in and focused on trying to find shooters um, if we don't have Rudy on the rim that, that we can it can take a minute to, to adjust and that's what I was kind of saying with the, the Charlotte game they they were so jam-packed in the paint and it took us a while to realise how how packed in the paint it was I mean it almost took three quarters I think in the third quarter we made a little run but then to to really get it going in the fourth and, and that's going to be the way it is some nights is we can go into a game and say the Lakers have played defensively like this for 10 straight games, but they might do something different with us because we're a different team to, to a lot of teams in this league at the moment. So, um, yeah, part of it is going in prepared and, and knowing what they want to do. And then a part of it is, is kind of feeling it out in that first quarter of how they're playing. Like they might be blitzing Donovan, but switching with me and playing like back and dropped with, with Mike. Like they, there's different things going on all the time. So, um, yeah, it's a kind of the fun part of the game is figuring out the best way that you can help your team or help your team in a situation um, every single night. So since last week, has uh, Donovan reiterated you got no chance? <laughs> we uh, we kind of talked about it those next few days. It's kind of died off a little bit now. Um, <laughs> but we were, yeah, I mean, I'm not changing my stance on it. So you guys all out there, whoever thinks I can't, congratulations. And if you don't, then put a little bit of cash up and I'll uh, happily take it to a beautiful <laughs> autism charity here in, in Utah. So um, I don't know where Donovan's, where Donovan will donate his money if it's the other way around, but I would be happy to pay it if he, if he is able to, whatever, throw the ball at me 10 times. Um, but yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll take everyone's money. So anyone that, wants to be a smart ass on Twitter or whatever, send me your Venmo and we'll, uh, we'll take the money and, and it'll, it'll, it'll help a kid, uh, a kid get some extra therapy. 
All right, Joe, as always, we appreciate it. Good luck on the road trip, and obviously uh, Jazz fans will be watching. This is an incredible role you guys are on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, there's Joe Ingles and the Joe Ingles Show, starring Joe Ingles with special guest stars DJ and PK. And it is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union, where your future is our future. Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz, coming up next. And then Mike Weir, former Masters champ, to talk about Tiger Woods at 930. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by TV's Craig Bowlerjack. His weekly interview presented by University of Utah Health, trusted health care provider for the Utah Jazz family and yours. Bowler, good morning. Hey, good morning. Bowler, 22-2 and two in the last 24 games. And I know the Lakers are shorthanded, and AD's a massive loss. And they were missing two starters, and so that matters. But they ran, yeah. yeah, they ran the Lakers off the floor like they've run a bunch of other teams off the floor. This is the kind of thing that sports fans always dream of. You probably dreamed of your Chiefs doing to teams for decades, and it never <laughs> happened. And then it happens, and you can barely bleep and believe it. And you don't want to believe it because you're afraid you're going to get hurt. But at some point you buy in, and your Chiefs did get the ultimate prize one time. A couple of hideous losses, you know, so one out of three. But it's been a great three-year run. How far in should Jazz fans be jumping with this team? Because they haven't seen anything like this since Stockton and Malone's glory days. Yeah, it's a, like a generational uh, yeah. thing. Um, you know, I, I've always, you know, Ricky Rubio says it best, never too high, never too low, right, when he was here. And I've always kind of thought that was a pretty smart approach. And I think he's just so have to, you know, wait and see how this turns out. Second half of the season, uh, you know, just came out yesterday, the schedule that is. And the Jazz uh, take off for a four-game road trip today, and they got to play back-to-back Miami, Orlando on on Friday, Saturday. But you know they've got an incredible road record, one of the top three in the NBA. And they look at their home record; they've just absolutely dominated teams. I think that's the key word here: they're dominating, not just winning, but dominating. I read an article this morning on ESPN.com talking about the fears of teams that play like this meaning do you peak too early? And that was one of the, the things about the Jazz. Is this team going to be able to sustain uh, you know, this type of play? Look, uh, you can't predict the future, but look, you have to be realistic that 22 of 24 and winning 26 of your third, first 32 games, either two things happen. You, you begin to kind of come back down to reality and you flatten out a little bit, or you just have – an incredible special season that's been put together, then you have to decide how this is going to work out in the playoffs. But, oh, man, for me personally, um, it's it's an incredible thing to be a part of. And we both covered, you know, we know what the NBA finals are like in 97 and 98. And, um, you know, those were special with Carl and John and Hornacek and Coach Sloan. And now you have an opportunity to, to have another special year with a couple of all-stars and a head coach who's headed to Atlanta to coach the West. I mean, pretty good in jazz land right now. But I still have to just kind of sit back as I've been kind of through this, as we all have, and you kind of know the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. Uh, you just have to kind of, you know, let this play itself out. But, man, it's fun right now. And they're very talented, by the way. This isn't a fluke. Let me put it that way. Uh, what they're doing is dismantling teams on both ends of the floor. And also, if one thing isn't going their way, whether it's paint, rim, or three, they're actually able to find what's working 
and then dismantle teams. And I think that's the, what's the most impressive part about this season so far. I think as I look at the box score of the Laker game, the thing that impresses me most is nobody did anything even close to extraordinary, and yet they still won by 25. Yeah, PK, you get six players in double figures, and let's read through it because it's a 48-point performance by the bench. The other part of it, too, just 12 turnovers, and it's just solid. You know, nothing fancy in the paint, 38, fast break points, 21. But here's the other stat that just, you know, drives teams crazy right now. Uh, what, first time in history that a team has gone back-to-back games and combined for 50 three-pointers. And so you go 22 of 48 last night, and, and you hit 46% of your shots from behind the three-point line. Man, that is difficult in the world we live in today. You know, I love Locke, and I love talking to him about stats, and that's, you know – but he's, he's taught me a, a big lesson, man. PK, hang with me here. Three is more than two. And I've always been, I've been kind of old school in the sense of I love still the, the beauty of the game and, you know, going inside the old days of Malone and, and just taking teams apart with physicality. But, look, we're looking at what really is real, and the league has changed drastically. Not overnight, man, but it's been a pretty quick transition over the last few years, and the Jazz have followed suit. And you hit numbers like that, you just you just have a hard time as the opponent beating teams. And the Jazz have – that's why they had six players in double figures last night. They just have a, a, an assortment of players who can just come at you. And I think Jordan Clarkson is really a big key here. I mean, we saw him for just a minute before COVID hit last year, and then we saw him in the bubble. But, man, I think Clarkson has, has been a huge, a huge factor – that gives the Jazz another dimension they just haven't had. Craig Bolajak joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You mentioned this uh, road trip they've got coming up, uh, the four games. It starts with a back-to-back. The last time they went out on the road after the loss to Denver, they had a uh, they had a road trip where they started back-to-back and left them pretty gassed in Indiana, and they had to grind out a win. Do you think that's going to be a problem in this or is this in this trip, or do you think this is another thing where – they learn from it, they handle it a little differently, and it's not as hard to play through this. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think they're going to have to look. Any team who's going to win this thing, West, East, uh, and the NBA championship, the way that the next half of the season is going to come at you fast because there's multiple back-to-backs, which is something the league was trying to get away from last year. But because of the uh, truncated season, what, 72 games, and they have to push it through, through May 16th and then the playoffs on the 22nd. So a lot of basketball to be played after they come back from Atlanta. But to your point, DJ, I tell you, this this road trip's intriguing because Miami's playing really well. They've won four in a row, knocked off Toronto last night. Then you go to Orlando. Then it's kind of weird. You have to slide back across to New Orleans, and then you go back to Philadelphia. That's a bizarre kind of trip in my mind. Miami, Orlando, over to New Orleans and then back up east the coast to Philly, but that's typical in the NBA. Um, so I think it's a challenging trip. You start and end with a couple of teams that are, that are going to try to fight for you know high level playoff positions and what Philly's doing right now. They're you know they're not what people ex- are expecting or have expected, but still a lot of basketball left to be played with Embiid and company, and you know. Uh, those back-to-backs, 
you know, everyone always says like Harper and T. Sometimes when you're playing well, the more the merrier. I mean, you just kind of want to get through it and don't let the, the, the momentum stop, so to speak. I think that's kind of where the Jazz are now. Uh, but my, my, I, I think when I look ahead, how do you, do you cool off during the All-Star break, guys, or do you try to, you know, what do you do to keep the focus and then restart the second half of the season as the best team in the NBA? And that's what's going to be really intriguing, too, is because you come home and start one game with Houston, then you have a five-game road trip to start the second half. That's a pretty good challenge, and I think another test um, and probably another indicator, really, for where the Jazz will be when they come back uh, after the All-Star break. Don't get ahead of ourselves. we got shows to do, so we'll be talking about uh, <laughs> that coming up. Yeah, I wanna... said, you know what, PK, I, for some reason, man, when that thing came out yesterday, I mean, I just kind of like peruse, peruse, and then you go, wow, wow, what's this going to be? How's it going to impact? Because we're so close. Never has happened where you get one half of the season and they hand you another one. Uh, you know, it's almost like a, a little gift you unwrap when you but, start but, looking at schedules. But, Bowler, don't you think that, you know, we always talk about what's going to change temporarily because of the pandemic and what changes permanently. And yeah. the TV partners are like, well, yeah, let's find out why, why should we get stuck with games with teams that have injuries and aren't as good? And why should we miss out on teams that suddenly take off? Why not do the schedule in halves? It's the same for everybody. Everybody was blindsided yeah. by the second half schedule, and the degree that helps everyone make more money off network TV. Well, it's a business. Why not do this going forward? You know, I think there's a lot of things that are going to change. You know, I still think that you're going to see teams, you know, park themselves in a city and play, you know, two game series and then depart. I think that's something that's going to come out of this uh, the COVID. Um, you know. The, the the two years of COVID, the two seasons where they've had to change things up. Uh, you know, the Jazz are going to play the Lakers uh, in two, day, two, two games and three nights in L.A. in the second half of the season. That's going to be a real intriguing, you know, two-game two run in, in L.A. And I think you're right, man. Why not? Why not? Uh, why not have two, two seasons, two parts? And it, I think it's really kind of an intriguing idea because, again, for the networks, I'd be all for it, right? Because you kind of know now what teams you want to focus on instead of, you know, putting yourself in a in a hole with a bad game on the on the second game of a national doubleheader on TNT or ESPN. So it may, I think there's a lot of things that are going to come out of this. I really do. I think scheduling, um, and I think you'll see still some back-to-backs, obviously, but I think you'll see, like in baseball, you just sit in a city and play a couple of games, and that's really where you get your rest, where you don't have to get on a plane and travel right after the right after a game. So, I guess we'll wait and see. But it sounds uh, like it could be pretty productive. So, the Jazz wave a player. I think they got a couple of roster spots open. Fill them with G League, or do you think they're setting themselves up for a potential move? You know, PK, I tell you, a lot of teams, you know. They'll have a couple of spots, and they wait and see, right? The second half of the season, they may want help. They may want another – I don't know if they want another shooter. They may want another forward. Uh, they want, uh, you know, somebody can come off the bench and, again, another just another shot in the arm. But, you know, maybe that's just the way that they're going to set themselves up for the ability to make a move. Shaq Harrison – I never got to see that much. I mean, he played just those closing minutes of multiple blowout games. But I know they brought him in because of some uh, defensive hopes for him, but just not enough room. 
Uh, you know, when the young guys get out there, i got to be honest, you know, the Jarrell Brantley, the Dewan Morgans, the Miguel Onis, I mean, the Jazz have a, to your point, PK, I don't know if they want another G League type guy or a two-way. You only can have two, granted, but I don't know if they want to just bring in another guy to um, develop, so to speak. I think that if they did fill a roster spot, it would be someone that could probably, you know, come in and be play a factor in what the Jazz do in the in the second half of the season. That's just a guess. I think those scenarios are all realistic, and any one of them might play out. The one you didn't mention is what about going out and signing someone that another team desperately needs to block that team from getting them? Put that on great, the list. Great point. I like it. You know, be uh, go out and block and be a spoiler. Yeah, yeah, could be could be one of the, the one of the uh, chess pieces that uh, the Jazz will use. It'll be inter- you know, I think the second half. You know, again, we haven't got to, to PK's point. There's still four tough road games ahead, uh, but how do you how do you restart coming out of the you know out of the gate? And you're right. What kind of roster moves would you make to help or hinder someone else's run to the playoffs? Craig Bowler, Jack, join us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, Bowler, you're gonna miss uh, you're gonna miss a trip to Florida in February. I'm sorry. This would be the yeah, downside. There's some upsides, but this yeah. would be the downside. Yeah, yeah, just uh, flying into Miami and feeling that cool breeze, you know. And, PK, you should be going because you've got to take your talent to South Beach. <laughs> <laughs> PK and Jimmy Buffett. Oh, I can hear it now. A concert. Sipping on a little lemonade and PK just singing with oh, that shirt. You know that, you know, DJ, you know that shirt he's got, that Jimmy Buffett-looking shirt, the Tommy Bahama look. <laughs> All right, Bowler, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. We'll, uh, right, guys. we'll hear you on the call Friday night. All right, guys. Talk soon. All right, there's Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. And his weekly interview is brought to you by University of Utah Health, trusted health care provider for the Utah Jazz family and yours. With 16 neighborhood health centers, U of U Health has a game plan for your family's care. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. Mike Weir, former Masters champ, talking about his career on the Champions Tour and Tiger Woods next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Scheduled to chat with Mike Weir here in a few minutes. Uh, But first, let's get to the... News of the day as we recap everything you missed in this show. There was a lot going on. PK, we talked uh, we talked in the six and seven o'clock hours about the uh, the story that broke yesterday about six o'clock with Elijah Millsap, the former Jazz guard, tweeting out allegations that then GM Dennis Lindsay made a bigoted comment to him during an exit interview in 2015, allegedly saying, "Quote: If you say one more word, I'll cut your black ass and send you back to Louisiana." Close quote. Lindsay, uh, multiple denials to multiple media outlets. I categorically deny making that statement. 
Quinn Snyder said postgame, honestly, I don't remember the conversation. I can't fathom Dennis saying something like that. Rudy Gobert was asked about it. Uh, there are only three players interviewed in the Zoom postgame. You know, there aren't that many team players left from the 2015 team. Rudy was one of, is one of them, and he said he was close with Elijah and had never heard that before. And he said it was six years ago, and he kind of shrugged when he said it, like, that's a long time is kind of the implication. And he said he would be reaching out to Elijah, and I suppose the next thing in this story, wherever this is going, is hearing what Rudy hears from Elijah. Um, I don't know that many people know what to make about this. There's probably more questions than answers off the little bit we've heard so far. Yeah, I guess so. We'll see how it develops. Yeah. All right. I want to touch on that for a moment. Mike Weir is now on the line, and he joins us. Mike Weir, former Masters champ, now on the PGA Champions Tour. Join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mike, good morning. Morning, DJ PK. How you guys doing? We are doing all right. Uh, we had wanted right. to have you on with the golf season getting all fired up and, and to talk about you. And then, obviously, golf went right to the forefront a couple days ago uh, with the news of Tiger Woods' uh, wreck. And we know, obviously, you know Tiger, and I don't even know how many tournaments you would have played together or how many practice rounds you would have played together. But it must have been horrific just seeing the video of that car. That was just awful. You didn't need to be told anything. Seeing that car, it just had to go right to the pit of your stomach. Yeah, it did actually. Um, you know, I was I was down here in Tucson, or I am down here in Tucson. I was on the golf course and <clears throat> I was checking my phone for something, and I saw the kind of the feed come across there. So I didn't see the picture until later. But my, you know, my first thoughts were, I, geez, I hope is it life threatening? What, what's what's happened? Um, I just heard saw that it was a single car wreck, and you know, immediately I just thought of him and um, hopefully he was okay. And then seeing, as you said, DJ, you know, seeing the car after. Um, Man, he, uh, you know, he, I know they're pretty severe injuries, but yeah, it could have, could have been a lot worse. So, um, you know, I, I, I was watching the news this morning. They said it was a, a talus bone injury to his right foot. And, and actually my, my ex-wife had a very, um, severe talus bone horse accident where the bone was exposed, you know, her foot was smashed severely by this horse and, uh, but, you know, just thinking in my head now how she's recovered and she's leading a normal life, so I'm hoping th- that for him going forward. What was the time frame for uh, your ex-wife as far as when she had the injury and how long did it take before she got back to normal? Yeah, it was, it was you know, a good six to eight months. You know, it was, mm-hmm. a, you know, a pretty reconstructive surgery at the start and, and worry about infection as they are with Tiger. And, um, you know, and then it was, it was after the surgery, um, a lot of time just laid up for a while. I can't remember quite the time frame, maybe four to six weeks. And then it was onto a knee scooter, um, you know, getting the, getting the cast off, getting, getting things going, you know, maybe a couple of months later where the rehab started and things. So, um, you know, I think she, you know, cold weather and things like that, she still feels like the plate in her foot. I think they're, they put some screws and some things and tiger's foot, it sounds like. So, that's something I'll have to live with. I don't. I don't think those will ever come out. So, I'm. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know the specifics, but I, I'm just referring to 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 Bricey, my ex-wife, and she. You know, that's something that would never come out of her foot. Um, so it's something she's had to deal with, and I think it is leading a pretty pretty normal life and pretty still active life. And uh, you know, that's 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 what's kind of running through mine as I as I saw it was on the news this morning, hoping that that's uh, the outcome for him. Uh, too soon for you to uh, reach out and text with him or anything like that. Yes, yeah, I, I uh, you know, haven't haven't um, 
touch base with him at all or anything. So just like everybody else, just wishing he and his family the best, and hopefully he's just recovering well and know that uh, you know that's that's a tough-minded guy right there, and knowing that um, he'll do everything he can and, and then some to uh, to recover. And I think you know, as Rory McIlroy said, you know, I think golf's furthest thing from people's mind, but you know, hope he's just you know, lives a pain-free life, you know, hopefully, you know, the other thing I was thinking in my head that, you know, he's recovering from back surgery, hopefully it didn't do any damage to his back, and that isn't a setback either, hopefully. So, yeah, just hoping for his health. I mean, that's that's the main thing right now, and, you know, maybe a few months down the road, start start looking at, you know, what, what that recovery looks like as far as what, what golf might look like down the road. So you've had literally an eyewitness spot basically for the bulk of tiger's prime because you and him Mm -hmm. you're not too far away in age so you were right there and you've seen the tremendous growth of golf as a sport and the prize money and all the stuff that tiger brought and it's a tough thing to sum it up but could you put into words what tiger has meant for your sport oh man i mean i liken it to the days when you know TV was just uh, becoming part of uh, of golf with Arnold Palmer and uh, the growth of the game with Arnold Palmer, you know, back in the, the late 50s and 60s and how the game really grew with Arnold Palmer. Um, obviously, I wasn't around during that time, but, I, you know, it was an explosion when Tiger came on the scene in the in the mid-90s. Um, we all benefited from it. Uh, PK, I mean, you know, the prize money went up. You know, I wasn't there at a time when my game started to ascend pretty good so i benefited from that uh, uh sponsorships and and all all the things that go along with that um you know people were interested in golf people thought golf was cool when you had you know this this type of athlete you know tiger really bought, brought a a certain amount of athleticism to the game um that um you know maybe was lacking in the past and now as you can see that the boom in the game is is there's tons of athletes in golf now and i think tiger's you know, a big part of that. Um, so, you know, he he's, you know, in a way transcended the game to a different level. People who maybe don't follow golf, follow golf because of Tiger, you know, not just the core golf fans, but he brought a new um, energy into the game and, and new fans along with it. So, yeah, he was huge for the game of golf. Or is huge for the game of golf. So you mentioned the, uh, you know, Tiger's back and, and how that's going. And, and obviously there were people when Tiger was younger saying, that is awesome what he does off the tee, but no mm-hmm. back can sustain that. When you see all the guys and how far they're hitting it now, are there guys you look at and think, that's awesome, but how long can you sustain that? And there are other guys who hit it a long way and have a swing, and maybe you think they can sustain this. Yeah, that's a great point. I think there are swings you wonder sometimes that, you know, you know, the big lash swings that guys have, you know, a, a DeChambeau and Jason Day, how they, how hard they go at it. And then you see effortless power um, by, by certain players out there. Um, so those type of swings, maybe um, you, you might think in your head might, might last a little bit longer, but yet at the same time, I think the guys, really understand how uh, recovery, how important recovery is. And I think guys are spending a lot more time in recovery, uh, doing ice baths and doing all the e-stims and all. They have their their, uh, physical therapists out with them. So after the round, even after putting their body through a lot of hard swings like that, they're they're doing a lot of rehab after the round. They're not, uh, you know, back in the day going to to dinner with their buddies and having a few drinks like like the old school guys. (laughs) They're they're doing the rehab and, and 
probably getting room service in the room and getting a lot of sleep and recovering. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, this this era of, of guys hitting a long way um, will will last. I, I seem to think it will. I mean, I think it's um, I think guys can have a long career as long as they take care of themselves. And um, I think the biomechanics, what we know, and, and movement patterns, what we know, and um, I think guys can work around maybe little subtle injuries that they might get. And I think they have a most guys have a, a good team around them to kind of just like they would in the NBA when guys get a little nicked up and a little something they they sit out for a little bit. Um, I think guys maybe do that a little bit more in golf now. So what was going on with that Zoom interview you were doing, and it ended up like a talking dog or something? <laughs> that was that was kind of parody, I guess. This there was this video that the the PGA Tour champions wanted to do. Um, I guess some viral video that went out where there was a judge and a lawyer talking about a case on a Zoom call and popped up on his screen. He was a cat. And he was like, Judge, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what's going on here, but there's this filter on here of a cat. And uh, it was this thing that, you know, in that room kind of went viral. And the tour's like, hey, will you do this uh, parody on that? So that's what it was. Oh, okay. It was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So uh, what is your plan? We had you on a while back, and you were talking about looking ahead to your career on the Champions Tour and that and getting out there and playing. What is what is your plan for 2021, assuming 2021 is a little more normal than 2020? Yeah, I mean, just, just kind of keep going, keep progressing in the things that I'm, I'm working on in my game. And, uh, you know, we have 23 to 25 events, I believe, on the Champions Tour schedule this year. So I'll probably play most of those sprinkled in a couple of PGA Tour events, obviously the Masters, and hopefully if we're able to have the Canadian Open up in June in Toronto, that's a bit up in the air. Um, so, you know, some, somewhere in the in the low to mid-20 tournaments I'll play this year, and yeah, I mean, I'm just enjoying the, the competition out here, the guys uh, seeing some old familiar faces here on the Champions Tour, and played a practice round with DJ uh, day before yesterday, and you know, hitting balls with Ernie and Jim Furyk yesterday, having a few laughs. So it's, it's fun to be out here on the champions tour guys that are, that I've known for a long time. And um, so, yeah, but keep working on the game, trying to get a win here, hopefully. So we saw the other day, Tony Finau standing over about a six or seven foot putt to win it. You've been in that situation. Mm -hmm. He didn't make it. He loses in the next hole, obviously. Uh, If Mm -hmm. he were to come to you and say, Hey Mike, what, what, what kind of counsel could you give me? Because obviously he's going to be in that situation again and again and again because he's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting uh, thing for Tony. I mean, I remember my first few times uh, in the mix trying to win. It's it's difficult, and then you 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 finally break through, and you almost have this relief. And you know, Tony's such a good player, and he's putting himself in so many positions. It's it's bound to just kind of fall in his lap where someone stumbles, and he wins one. Um, it hasn't happened yet, or there's going to be a time where he, he played great Sunday and it's just going to uh, pull ahead and win. So, you know, when you're standing over a putt like that, you just try to calm your breath. You try to take a, a deep breath, try to calm your nerves, um, and really try to not think of the outcome. You try to get focused on what you're doing. And, you know, if that putt, you know, that putt was a little left or right putt, you try to get your attention really on your spot and having full commitment to that putt and not thinking about anything else. Um, now, I know he's probably worked very hard on that, that, those sort of things, but that's what I would tell him. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time. He, it looks like he's he's putting really well. He putted great. I know that's 
something he's worked very hard on. But his overall game looks so solid, and uh, I think it's just a matter of time before he gets one. But it's it's frustrating when you're not getting it done. There's no doubt about it. There's probably no one more frustrated than him. Um, so, um, yeah, I just I, I hope that's that's what he thinks about next time he's in contention is to really get committed. Not you know turn out tune out the the what ifs. What if I I miss this or if I make it I win. All that kind of stuff is just interference. You know you get really focused on on what you're doing and the process and and pick your spot and commit to it. That's where you have your best chance of a good outcome. So everybody's career arc is a little different and everybody goes through slightly different challenges, but when you're where he is and he's so close and if anything, he inched even closer because I mean, you know, Riviera, that that's a pretty big name on the PGA tour and he shot a 64 Mm -hmm. on Sunday and that is a mm-hmm. heck of a number. And it feels like he's inching even closer. But when you're that close, how much of it is physical and how much of it is mental? Well, I think it's it's probably a mental thing at this point. You know, he has all the physical tools. He hits all the shots. He's he's putting well. I think every his whole whole game is very well rounded now, which is uh, which is a recipe for putting yourself where he is week in and week out. He's right in contention. So. You know, it's it's got to be a subtle mental thing. Uh, it could be just something very, very slight. Um, this game's just, you know, it can be just a very slight thing that can make all the difference in the world. Like that's a simple mindset of just being a little bit more committed. You know, if you're, you know, you you kind of think, let's say a putt is, you know, six inches outside the left and you're over it and you're like, oh, I'm just going to play it a little more. If you think of that right at impact, that's not being as committed as you could be. Um, so, subtle little differences like that in the mindset of just like, nope, that's my spot. Six inches outside the left. I'm just going to hit it right there. That's a more decisive uh, decision. And that could be all the difference from making the putt and missing the putt. So it might be something as simple as that. Uh, I don't know. I haven't talked to him about it, but um, I, like you said, he's, he's inching ever so close. And uh, who knows when he, when he knocks one off here, he could, the floodgates could open and he could win 10 tournaments in the next couple of years. He has that kind of talent. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping that for him. I hope he just makes those subtle adjustments. And you could tell over the years he's making adjustments in his game to improve. So you know, he's got a great coach and he's got a great team. I, I'm sure they're going to figure this out. Are they, letting, are they letting fans out on the course to watch you guys play now? Uh, not this week in Tucson. No. Um, I'm not sure what that's – I was just asking the other day if uh, if we have any plans of that going forward. But it doesn't, doesn't look like it so far. Uh, I'm hoping here as we move into uh, yeah. later later spring and summer, we'll we'll you know we'll start to loosen some of that up and get some fans. Do you have uh, pro ams early in the week, or is it strictly practice rounds with tour players, and that's the only that's all that's always on the course? Yeah, practice was uh, t- Monday and Tuesday, and then uh, I I played the pro am yesterday. There's pro ams. There was pro am yesterday. Another one today. And actually, as we were talking here, a tour official just texted me and said, Fred Couples' back is not doing good. Could I fill in for him today? <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's Freddie's been dealing with a bad back, so maybe I might have to play the Pro-Am again today to cover for Freddie. But um, usually the, the two days prior to the start of the tournament are uh, Pro-Am days. Well, Mike, you're in Tucson. You know, I'm an ASU grad, so I want you to stay away from the U of A campus because there's a lot of toxic <laughs> chemicals over there. <laughs> I'll tell Furek, Jim Furek's an Arizona alumni. I'll tell him I'm, I'm steering clear. I understand Phil's going to be there, though, isn't he? He is. Phil's playing this week as well. Yeah. Uh, great field this week. You know, Ernie's here and Furek, Phil, uh, Longer. Yeah, it's a really good field. I'll be checking it out. 
I, I've been curious about this since I was watching the, uh, the made-for-TV stuff with everybody mic'd up last summer. Did Phil mm-hmm. really turn up the juice because he knew he was on camera and he's mic'd up, or is that how he is all the time? On like uh, talking, what, talking, yapping on the, on the, yeah. on the match when he's yeah, and he's you know and like that. activate yeah. my calves and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't think he does that when we're playing out here, but uh, he he likes to uh, to tune up a little bit when the when the microphone gets on, especially in those made for TV things. And um, yeah, he he does that. That's that's his whole I guess Instagram thing is a. Uh, his calves. He talk about his calves all the time. So, you know, Phil, Phil's, uh, Phil's a lot of fun. He, uh, he likes to make light of himself, which is, which is great. And, uh, you know, he's good at it. You know, I think, uh, you know, who knows? They've been, there's been a lot of chatter about him being in the broadcast booth yeah, here yeah. in the not too uh, distant future. So he'd be really good at it. And he's, he's good at us. He's got a great mind for the game. So he'd be, he'd be a great analyst of, uh, of the tour for the tour for sure. Uh, there was a time once when, uh, and I know he'd be good at a hundred percent. He'd be good at it. And if you ever uh, are killing time with him, ask him about, uh, the time he and Sean Salisbury got into it on the radio over football picks. And then he ended up being right. And Salisbury ended up getting oh, annihilated boy. with Dan Patrick. He'll remember. Oh, really? Oh, it's an awesome story. Dan Patrick was saying that he, I think he picked the Vikings and he was breaking down why, and Salisbury is like, you know, I'm a pro football player. Don't break it. Pick whoever you want, but don't break it down for me. Well, I think it was the Vikings that Phil picked. They were in the game, and I think the Vikings ran the opening kickback for a touchdown and then blew out whoever they were playing. And Dan Patrick said his voicemail started filling up when the return guy was at midfield. It was, at the time, it was epic. I'm sure Phil could regale you with that story in great detail. Oh, yeah, I'll ask him about it for yeah. sure. All right. Well, Mike, we appreciate the time. We appreciate, uh, I know a lot of people here still track your career and what you're doing. I love hearing about you. And obviously everybody was, uh, you know, just, you know, has rooted for Tiger for a long time, is hoping for the best for Mm -hmm. him now. So thanks for coming on right now on kind of short notice. We appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure, guys. No problem. We're all pulling for Tiger. Thanks. Mike Weir, he's on the PGA Champions Tour now, former Cougar. And obviously a Canadian who's looking forward to playing in the Canadian Open and a former Masters champ as well. And a guy who's golfed with PK. Yeah. I like to think of it more the other way. He's I know, with, I know. That's why I've I golfed said with it. him. Yeah, right. Hey, it's my life dream to play with him now. I need to make it number I need there you go. my chance at it. All right, DJ PK, we gotta take a break. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Beating the Lakers is amazing, especially when you have to sit there and listen to all the excuses the Lakers fan give for losing. The Jazz need to do that in the playoffs in L.A., but when they're done, they need to walk out on the court with just their socks on. Every single player, including Quinn Snyder. Michael Conley did something amazing. He got me to shut up. I have the biggest mouth of anyone I know. I have the biggest mouth on the open mic. I have the biggest mouth in the stands when I'm a fan. And he did it. I love the open mic. There's so much passion out there. So he wants the guys to walk out in just socks? I don't understand that. I don't understand. I looked at Yak. Yak doesn't understand it either. None of us make any sense of that. Guys are supposed to strip down and walk around in their socks? That doesn't sound like a good idea. Uh, oh, no, that's a little bizarre. Just thinking about one thing on that. Uh, the You take your shoes off like a wrestler and put them on the mat? I was going to say, is, that, is, it the wrestling, is it the wrestling reference? You're going to retire? I don't know what is the reference is. But you want to win the title before you retire. You're walking out there in just your socks? I, yeah. I don't know. 
I don't get it. Somebody needs to explain it to me. Oh, we got a lot of people tweeting at us. The Jazz look awesome in February, Dean says. Wait until that defense tightens up come playoff time. You have a short memory. What de- whose defense is tightening up? Uh, it's a whole long conversation, I just realized. How sweet is it to hammer the Lakers under any circumstances, the question. Snazzy Coog says, it's just the Lakers. The Clippers are the team that concerns me. Ryan says, nah, we have their number in the playoffs. Snazzy says, this isn't bubble ball. And then Dean jumped in with the Jazz look awesome in February. Wait until the defense comes up playoff time. You have a short memory. I think that's someone saying, hey, the Jazz, look how, look how things went south for them in a hurry in the playoffs last year. They have 3-1, things tightened up, and they lost. Yeah, I would really ignore last year's playoffs and take nothing from it. The bubble, there were no road games and there were no fans, and that's two enormous changes from every other playoff ever. Yeah, team's better. They got bogey. On and on. Yep. All right, more feedback coming in. Uh... (laughs) I've been in Mike Weir's Draper home for work. He has the sickest golf simulator I've ever seen. You can dial up any 18 holes anywhere in the world. Pro golfer, that's a work investment. He doesn't live in Draper anymore. Uh, Somebody else has a sick golf simulator then. Uh, Well, it could have been his prior home. He could have taken it with him. Uh, He's moved. He moved north a little bit. Uh, I know that. So... Great. That that would be awesome. Yeah, to, to, it was a lot of fun just to be around. He's a great guy, and just to be on the golf course with a Masters champion was. Uh, I just wish my father was alive, man. I wish I would have been able to talk to him about it because my father's the reason why I'm into golf. Uh, because he was very much into golf for sure, and so he passed it down to me. So, one of the thing I wanted to bring up, I just saw something. Uh, I don't know if how to the degree of uh, credibility, but saying that the uh, Raptors and Sixers might be making a deal with Kyle Lowry going to Philly, which would affect the Jazz if that thing is moved, if that move is made here over the weekend. Uh, Kyle could be in that lineup for Philly on uh, Wednesday. I don't know that it'll happen, but uh, something to keep your eye out there. And obviously he's a real good player and would help Philadelphia. That is the last stop on the four-game road trip for the Jazz before the All-Star break, Philly and Wednesday. I'm excited for that game, too. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what they'd be getting back. He's in the last year of his deal. He's making $30 million. He's 34 years old. Uh, Van Vliet and Siakam seem like the future for Toronto, unless they make a bunch of other deals. I guess you never know these days, but as their roster is currently constituted, they're Well, in I wouldn't think they'd be getting back Embiid. Good call, PK. <laughs> Excellent point by you. All right, we'll let Hans and uh, Scotty figure out what might be happening there. We're out of time. DJ and PK, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning, 6 to 10, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.